What's going on? It's Mark Malusa's Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Hey, welcome to the weekend. It is the Moose and Maggie Show. You've made it. You've arrived. It's a summer Saturday. Moose is off. He's at the beach. Well-deserved vacation for the hardest working man in sports. Maggie with you alongside Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report. Also, the Sims and Lefko podcast, which we absolutely love. Adam, thank you for being here. I should mention we are coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every single day. This is going to be a fun one. Adam and I met probably about Five minutes ago. No, we met about 20 (laughs) minutes ago. But this is funny, right? For everyone who knows me, you know, my day job, Sports Illustrated, hosting SI Now. Basically, Adam does the Bleacher Report equivalent of what I do. And we've been doing this sort of simultaneously Uh for years. Do you tell people when they're like, how long you been a Bleacher? Do you say like, and when you say the amount of years, then you're like, whew. No, it's what I say time. is, I say, you see what Maggie Gray does? <laughs> yeah. Add neon and Instagram, <laughs> and that's what I do for Bleacher yes, Report. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. You guys do a fabulous job of Bleacher Report. We share a lot of the same guests, people yeah. coming in on publicity tours and book tours and all that stuff. I love what you guys do over there. We know a million people in common, but our Moose and Maggie family really doesn't know you that well, I'm Very assuming, true. Right? I'm excited to meet them. Right. So what we're going to do through now, through the course of the next four hours, not going to dominate, but we're going to do this twice an hour. We're going to ask a question to Adam Lefko. We're going to get to know Adam Lefko. I am nervous. I'm Healthy. really nervous. You're going to knock these out of the park. We're going to do one later on in the hour. It's going to range from everything from food to TV to sports to pop culture, all that stuff. Oh, if stuff. it's those four, especially food, then I'm very confident. Well, we now knew you'd I'm be, back. We knew you'd be perfect on this podcast. No, we weren't going to start with farm subsidies in European <laughs> history. Don't worry about it, bud. We got you. You'll just have to recite the periodic table and... Hour number four. No, we should start with the biggest story in sports now, which we could have imagined that this was going to get to a fever pitch. But I'll be honest with you, Adam. I mean, I was at the Mayweather-McGregor so press conference on Thursday. Is jealous the word? Okay, maybe. Maybe you should have been jealous. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. And, you know, people who know me on the show know I'm a big boxing fan. I've been lucky. I've gone to many prize fights in Las Vegas, Madison Square Garden, all that stuff. I've been to a lot of boxing press conferences. I was at, you know, Floyd Mayweather, Miguel Cotto in Harlem at the Apollo Theater where some guy came out with like a horn from like the Middle Ages and started all that stuff, right? This was unlike anything I've ever seen. It had the excitement, and this is not hyperbole, of the 30 seconds before Mayweather Pacquiao bell rung. It had the excitement of... For for a press conference. For a press conference. Before the 30 seconds before... The Super Bowl kicks off. It had that type of energy. And honestly, you can credit McGregor, who's got the greatest mic skills probably of any athlete we've ever seen. Credit Floyd, because nobody has the ability to to turn a crowd into a raging bunch of booing, psychotic, you know, insane people like Floyd Mayweather. He inspires so much hate. So between the two of them, they deserve a lot of credit, but also the crowd. They came ready. 12,000 people at the Barclays Center. 
Do you know the last time the Nets probably drew 12,000 people? It was like probably the Obama administration. And this was the third day of the tour. That's what's incredible. They spent a day talking. Then they went to Toronto, did a day talking. Then came to Brooklyn, did a day talking. Then went to, And people were still showing up. And they're saying the same thing loudly in each other's faces. And I, I'm watching them all on YouTube. Yeah. I know we're going to have our, your guy Brian on later. Yep. I, I need to ask him what it was like being on the stage getting booed by that many. He said showtime, and they said, we hate you. I was I felt bad for Brian. <laughs> I've never seen a host get booed. Yes. I've never seen a TV executive like Steven Espinosa. Oh. Who even knows or cares if Steven Espinosa is? I do. I'm in the industry. I care about I a boxing TV I have so TV many questions for Steven because he's sitting there, and he's getting called a rat, and he's got to sit there and take it. He yeah. can't stand up no, and go, he Connor. Loves- he oh, lo- he they love this. I mean, even if and, and I, I interviewed them all behind the scenes and Espinoza will say, yes, he crossed the line. Even Floyd cl- crossed the line. There's too much, you know, in terms of it just getting nasty. Yes. It got racial. It got homophobic. We'll get into all of that. Sure. But they're they love this. Like, don't be fooled. Everybody involved is absolutely licking their chops. Because I think they made a mistake. Well, they, they made several mistakes. Well, here's the main they one. They haven't been perfect. They're doing four straight days of pressers. And then we're going to get the fight in two months. Yeah, they still have six weeks ago. I would have rather had four straight fights and then a press conference <laughs> in six months. That was no. the best it's going to get. No, but this that's why they're smart because this is the ramp up. Oh, it's and then, perfect. But here's the thing, right? You still have the six weeks. So there's a lot of room for this thing to go totally off the rails. Now, they're going to go into camp. So they're going to get quieter. Showtime. You're going to get 24-7 oh, or whatever the equivalent so of. ESPN's doing it, Showtime's doing it. You're going to have plenty of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, one of our guys, Greg Bishop, was embedded with Connor, took the private jet. Really? Wearing PJs on the PJ, Adam. I know it's a goal of yours and mine, but he got embedded. And just from that story, which was a print story, you can just imagine how how much the video is going to just be incredible. But there have been some major mistakes that they have made. Okay, Number one, the racial stuff by Connor is a total miscalculation by him. First of all, I was behind the scenes after he came out of Brooklyn and he tried to walk back any kind of racial tension by saying, I'm black from the belly button down, and then made a gyrating motion. He said, this is for all of my beautiful uh, black female fans, right? I mean, that was gasoline on the fire. That was not quelling anything. Yet when he came behind the scenes and were asking him, like, why would you double down? Why would you make this worse? You're already getting so much criticism for this. He was flustered. It's the only time I've seen McGregor not be perfect on the mic and have a comeback and be quick and clever and snappy. He was visibly uncomfortable with people saying he's a racist. This is after the day before he said, dance for me, boy, which boy obviously riled enough people up. And then this is a day before he said, called one of Mayweather's bodyguards, uh, Juicehead Monkey. I mean, this is a guy who is way totally inappropriate, right? And we know that people will say things to rile up the crowd. Using race to sell a boxing match has been done since literally Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries in the early 1900s, the Great White Hope. What Muhammad Ali said about Joe Frazier comes to mind right away. That was inappropriate as well, and Joe Frazier was very hurt by those comments. And, you know, this fight, though, is not the place to be having a nuanced conversation about race in this country or in this world. These two clowns who are promoting a fight, make no mistake, the only color this is about is green. Yes. These are not the guys who should be dipping their toes full-fledged, half in the water, full up to water, up to here, drowning now in this topic that, in this, this very serious topic 
that quite frankly, I'm not going to say they're not equipped to handle it, but this is not the forum, the time and place to bring race into it. And here's the other issue I have with this is that besides just being reprehensible, I mean, this is the thing. If you are Conor, right, you're trying to build the brand away from UFC. You're doing a fantastic job. Now my mom knows who Conor McGregor mm-hmm. is, right? And that's the test, right? Think of your grandmother. She knows now who Conor McGregor is. This, in my opinion, is his golden parachute out of the fight game. He wants to become a Hollywood star. To have baggage attached to you that you are potentially a racist will not help you in this fear. Ask Mel Gibson about it. Ask any actor who's been discredited or been completely disavowed by Hollywood by taking a stance like that. You cannot have this attached to you. And then for Floyd, okay, after the presser on Thursday, Floyd comes back to the media area. He said, Floyd, you know, Connor's saying these things. They're being criticized, racially insensitive. What do you have to say? He said, it's totally over the line. This is, this is so disrespectful to black women. And it'll go on and on. <laughs> And I'll, you I'm have sorry. to look at yourself and say, Floyd. <laughs> You've punched you, them in the head. You you assaulted a black woman in front of your children and went to jail for for five months. So you can't take the moral high ground there. So these two are not the two to be having what should be a very nuanced, in-depth, very serious conversation about race. And you don't need race to sell this fight. Make fun of the jacket. Make fun of the money, the backpack, the clothes, the age. Everything you can make fun of, right? He's got—he's driving a 2012 uh, Bentley. All of that. Race is making people uncomfortable here, and it's not helping you sell your fight, and it's not helping Connor in his. You don't future. think it's helped selling at all? I don't think so. I, I think I think the spectacle of this race is making it uncomfortable for people, and I think that you can have Connor's the ultimate heel. So is Floyd, ultimate heel, but Floyd is actually a bad guy, and Connor's just a villain that we don't really know. I mean, he's said some really inappropriate things, but he's never served jail time. And we feel like he turns it on for the cameras and the microphones. And people think it's a WWE act. Yes. You can have two heels and two villains, but you can't have two bad guys. Because the crowd, then who do you root for? Because you don't want to be associated with a racist. And people already dislike Floyd to an extent that I've never seen. I've I've never defended someone that made crazy comments, but I'm about to do so right now. Um, for the last however many months, these two guys have been staring at each other's pictures on a wall and foaming at the mouth. Connor literally has a mural over his boxing gym of him knocking the spit out of Mayweather's mouth. Floyd is having to defend the fact that he is washed up and old, and this is the man that's supposedly going to take away his O and make him 49-1. and one. We literally have put two dogs in cages and riled them up facing each other and then went... Can you be more civil? Can you have a nuanced discussion about race? And we're giving them a microphone on a stage and saying, have at it. And then we're going, can't believe you said that. You know, there's children watching. So for me, I have a hard time getting upset about people that we've been told, get up there, be ruthless, smack him in the head, throw money at him, call him a stripper. Floyd in London called him a derogatory homophobic word. I don't think, A, either of them are intelligent enough to know what not to say, credit to what you were saying afterwards where Floyd or Connor was shocked that, that his comments didn't go over well. By the way, worst apology to black women I've ever heard in my entire life, ever. It was the worst, but 
what was I expecting out of these two? I don't go to them for nuanced conversation. I go to them to get punched in the head. That's literally what their jobs are. So for me, I'm not going to excuse it, and I hope that the response can show younger people and other people, hey, you can never talk like that. But for these guys... This was the lowest bar I ever thought was imaginable. Very interesting. Different rules for different areas, avenues, venues. That's an interesting conversation. We're going to get into that. Of course, you can always call us 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. How locked in are you on this Mayweather-McGregor hype tour? It's not even press conferences at this point, people. It's a blatant hype tour. And has it changed your Ooh, mind on whether on whether you think that Connor has a chance? Has he talked Stop. you into believing? Maggie, I'm going to take your money right that, now. Just slide the 20 <laughs> across stopped. the table. I'm only asking the questions, Adam. I'll give you my answer when we come back. It's the Moose and Maggie Show. Adam Left goes in for Moose today right here on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, everybody, on three. One, two, three. This is <laughs> just kidding. We're over the how air do radio. You, how do you it even is the spell Musa that show. word? That first word he said, because he didn't say the word that I say. His <laughs> accent on all of his curse words are out of this world. Yeah, it's really, it's an art that Connor has. It's a mic skills that are translatable. He really reminds me of like The Rock, yeah. Stone Cold. Yeah. He reminds me of CM Punk, who I didn't even realize I missed so much in the WWE. We did a mashup of like, uh, for Sports Illustrated, we did a mashup of like the best of the Mayweather-McGregor press conference sure. in with the best of the WWE. Oh, man. You can't even tell the difference. You it's the same. You sound like a big WWE fan. I am. I, I am. Not big. Not like Anthony Big goes to WrestleMania and all that stuff, but I interview a lot of wrestlers, and yeah. I'm interviewing Stephanie McMahon coming up at a women's conference in October. So I'm hip to it. You're okay. So I have one uh, bone to pick with you after last segment. Okay. You said that we haven't seen someone with a mic this good. Yeah. Ali's the greatest, and I don't want to compare these two to Ali because he yeah, also don't. put so much context <laughs> yeah. in his words. And you were saying that you can't d- have two villains. No, I've no, n- you can have two villains, but you can't have two bad guys. Gotcha. What we have here is two Ric Flairs. Ah. We have two guys. That, that adorn themselves in jewelry and fancy clothes, and they talk about how great they are. And we have two people of equal ego that uh, there is an aura to these guys' egos. And when they stand up there, it, it feels like this clash where there is a force field between them, and it's incredible, but it's two Ric Flairs. So I don't need a rock and a stone cold. Right. I don't need a triple A. We're going way yeah, deep yeah. in the you're WWE. Getting, getting the good the and the rattle. evil, the Lex Luger and the Superman. Two Ric Flairs is great. No, I get it, and you don't need it to be so simple as this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. Yeah. But I do think that when you have two guys, they can be heels mm. like Flair, but you can't be genuinely bad. Like people hate Mayweather because yes. he is a domestic violence abuser. You can't also then hate Connor because he's could potentially be a but, racist and there saying, it is. saying racially insensitive things. And there I it mean, is. I think you can at this point he's saying things that are that are indefensible. Every time that I've met somebody, every time I start a new job or I'm in a relationship and think, what's the number one thing people say? It's about your actions before your words. Floyd Mayweather punched women in the back of the head so you couldn't see it under the hair. I know that Connor said things that upset people on a stage, riled up, off, just freestyling for 20 minutes. He said some stuff that I know he's going to take back. 
But the actions of one man, right. come on, come on. No, 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 I get it. I'm, and I'm, they are apples to oranges. I'm yeah. not putting them on the same level yeah. by any stretch. But I'm saying that it's not helping the fight. It's right. not helping to sell the fight. When you have to essentially, yes, you can tune in just for the pure theater and spectacle of it, but you're going to get ripped off. So know that. You know if what you're it's tuning selling? in just, if you're tuning in just for the spectacle, you're going to get ripped off. Your mm. your hundred dollars is definitely spent better elsewhere. But if you're tuning in with a rooting interest, mm. you have a tough one in this in this fight. Who do you go with? You go with a bad guy, or I mean, be saying these racist things is not endear me to Conor McGregor at all. I was already excited for the Showtime twenty four seven. That was going to be great. To see him, though, after this, to see if he's sitting there shocked, as you say, going, yeah. I can't believe that was taken the wrong way. I'm really curious because the, the number one thing that people always say about Conor McGregor, he has this belief system that is incredible, that he genuinely wills himself to believe that he is an invincible man and that is an unbreakable force. If this cracks that armor at all to where all of a sudden he's thinking about something else, I'm very curious because he needs to go in completely bullheaded. He did make some comments in London, Maggie, that I kind of want to bring up that really made me go, uh-oh. One of them was, I've never been in a boxing ring before. He said that on the last press sure. tour. And my first thought was, oh man, you don't know the landscape. Because it's a different octagon versus a boxing ring. Different and, canvas. And knowing where to go. And how many times have we seen someone get pushed into the corner and then they can't get out? It's real estate. The second thing he said was, Four years ago, I was fighting in front of 500 people. Do you know how different this stage is going to be? If he's wowed by a press conference, imagine when he's in Las Vegas and the world is looking at him. Floyd has been on this stage for 21 years. Now, I don't need to make more points to why Floyd's going to win. No. But it made, it, go, it made me go, oh, wow, you're even more at a disadvantage. And the last one, and for me, was the most upsetting. He goes, you know what? I, I'm going to get the rematch in the octagon. And I'm sitting there going, the only time you get a rematch is when you lose. So are you openly saying right now that you're going to lose to Floyd Mayweather and that you're going to need the rematch in the octa? Why would you say that? Well, you don't give a rematch to someone that you beat. So I'm sitting there because Floyd, would, he, would, he would go back to boxing again. I'm sitting there going, Connor is, is wowed. He doesn't know where he is. And he legitimately thinks he's going to need a rematch. That was, if I, if I legitimately thought there was a fight, right then I went, this is not, this is a spectacle, even right. though I already knew that. Right. But I went, wow, Connor knows he's going to lose. This is wild. That's really interesting. I didn't pick up on the rematch thing. I guess I, I interpreted that as you get a rematch when you win. You know, like if he pulls the upset that Floyd would want to have the equalizer come back and then maybe it would turn into a trilogy. That's but he how wouldn't I go in the octagon. Of course he would. Floyd's 40. Floyd's not doing any of this stuff. No. Floyd is making $100 million and riding off into the Las Vegas uh, strip club sunset. I mean, yes. that, that Which is, is an awful sunset. <laughs> it is, it's really not soothing or calming. You know, I actually have a really funny story about Floyd um, behind the scenes talking to me about strip clubs. I'm going to save that for a second, though. Let's go nice. up to Boston. It's Kelly. You're up first here on the Moose and Maggie show. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing great, but man, I really want to hear this thing about the strip club, dude. Now nobody wants to listen to me. That's a hell All of right, a Kelly, tease, you, Kelly. You, you, save, you, you tell us what, you're, what you want to say, and then I'll tell the, the strip club story. All right, deal. Tell you what, uh, no one's going to worry about Conor McGregor being racist or anything like that. He's ignorant. I mean, he's, he's, he's just from that part of the world. It's different. I'm not trying to say everybody from over there is racist. I'm just saying the racism is very different over there. For example, in the United States, you're not going to be racist. 
about somebody who looks like you, whereas where he's from, it's like you got the different factions and they're fighting to kill each other. And I know it's about religion more than race, but in his mind, it's the same thing. So they don't really understand over there how the American racism works with the black, white, and all that stuff. So my point is, people aren't really going to hold that against them years later, you know, going into Hollywood or anything like that, if he wants to do that. Nobody cares, because they understand he's just like an ignorant guy. I mean, over in Europe, you know, you have places like Scandinavia and whatnot, where all the liberals here get a lot of liberal ideas. I love liberals, but I'm just saying, uh, you got places where he's from, it's like the exact opposite. And so you were saying also, uh, oh, well, Floyd's really a bad guy. People hate Floyd. People don't hate Floyd because he beat his wife. Stone Cold Steve Austin beats his wife. Nobody ever mentions that. I mean, he's old, but I'm just saying people hate Floyd because he's loud and he's black and he's rich, and a lot of people are actually racist too. So uh, I, I think it's going to work out fine having two villains. And uh, uh, just to finish off here, I think you're kidding yourself if you think Connor's not a villain too in real life. I mean, you just listen to this guy talk. He's a scumbag. I mean, he's a very clever uh, a personable scumbag, but he makes his life strangling people, kicking him in the face and whatnot. I mean, he's he's obviously a bad guy, too, so don't kid yourself on well, that. UFC fans call that sport. You know, Kelly, thanks for the call. You covered a lot of ground there. I believe we literally went to Scandinavia and back, so well done by you. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Sign up to be an O Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O Rewards members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, it's easy. Most importantly, it is free only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Maggie here, Moose on vacation. Adam Lefko from Bleacher hey. Report is hanging out with us for the next four hours. I still have to tell my Floyd Strip Club story. I'm going to do that, but we know that TJ has to go to work in a few minutes. So TJ in Virginia, you're up next on CBS Sports Radio. Good morning. Hey, first of all, um, it's always a privilege, not a right to talk. So I I appreciate you guys scooting me in. It's like spandex. (laughs) It's a privilege, not a right. Go ahead, DJ. (laughs) Exactly. I like that. Um, I just wanted to kind of take a slightly different angle. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited for the whole Connor versus Floyd thing. I'm definitely going to watch it. But I'm also a really hardcore um, MMA fan. And um, what's happened is it's not really Connor's fault, but it's a new ownership, WME. Yeah. They overpaid to buy the UFC. So now what's happened is it used to be like the best guys would get paid the most. And uh, a lot of talkers would get paid pretty good too, but it was always about the rankings. What these guys have done now, the ownership, is they flipped it on its head. You now have had about 10 top 10 fighters leave in the last six months to go to Bellator because they're great fighters, but they're not necessarily like loudmouths and acting like Connor. So the sport has become diminished. We just lost a guy. His name was uh, Jagard Musasi. Mm-hmm. This guy is maybe the best middleweight in the entire world. They were paying him 80K to show. They paid Mark Hunt 800,000K to show up and fight Musashi is a middleweight who beat Mark Hunter heavyweight six years ago in Japan in 45 seconds. Uh, the guy has, like, finished 36 or 42 fights. Um, his record is, like, 44 and 5. He's one of the, you know, probably best fighters of all time. And that trend is very kind of upsetting to me because the quality of the sport is going down bad, and it's going down swiftly. You know, it's interesting, TJ. appreciate the call, and have yourself call. A, a great day at the office. Hopefully it's uh, painless for you. I actually talked to Demetrius Johnson not too long ago. People know him as Mighty Mouse, you know, um, unbelievable champion of the UFC. And he essentially said what TJ just said, which is I'm not getting paid like a champion because I'm not out there on the mic saying things that are incendiary, 
trying to sell my fights in a way that is anything but about my skill. And he said that basically, I said, well, did you bring these concerns to Dana White? I mean, you should have a lot of power, you know, because you are a champ many times over. He's defended his title, I think, 10 or 11 times. Just a really, really awesome guy. And in terms in terms of fighting. And he said it falls on deaf ears. Like, Dana doesn't want to hear it. And he says that he understands why. I mean, you do have to promote your fights, right? But he said the fact that the loudmouths are getting paid more than the champions is a complete sign of disrespect. And, you know, to TJ's point about Bellator, while we have seen some guys defect and go to the competition of the UFC, which is owned actually, I believe, by Viacom and might be on part of this company in CBS, CBS, but they don't pay nearly as much. I mean, you can see when guys fight in states like California and other places, they have to make the purses public. It's, it's It's a tenth. You know, it is. I mean, guys are maybe not a tenth, but it's easily, it, it's maybe 30%. So getting 30 cents on the dollar of what yeah. UFC is getting. My response to TJ would be uh, your complaints falling on deaf ears. Every job I've ever seen, the louder person gets the promotion. I don't care if you're in media. I don't care if you work at the deli. If you're not going in there and saying, I deserve what I'm worth, you're not going to get paid. You know what they do in WWE because we've made this parallel a lot? Yeah. They give John Heyman to the guys that can't talk. So if you're not a good talker, A, work on it, like get in the mirror and learn how to talk because if you can't talk, like you're never going to make any money. Or B, go crazy. Hire someone to be your mouthpiece. Get someone that's a crazy person that you could just stand there and look tough. Do something to fix that. Don't just sit there and go, you know, I should really be getting a better opportunity. I've met a million of those people in my life, and guess what? They never get a better opportunity. But here's the one response to that. WWE... That's it. The talking is it because everything else is choreographed. Well, that's you would what this think, is now. But you would think that when you actually do put two men face-to-face who are fighting, I mean, in some cases, for their lives, UFC to be brutal. Boxing, also brutal. More of a sweet science, and that's just how I view it because yeah. I don't think when you hit a man when he's down, it's necessarily sports. Don't at me, UFC fans. We've talked about this too much. But I just think that there is like... That that holds up in the WWE because it's all about the show, and I understand combat sports is about the show too, but there is a fight at the end. Like, Evander Holyfield is not a good talker and did not promote his fights, but damn, could he fight. It was a and different era. And he's in the Hall of Fame because of it. Well, I don't know, because boxing, though, has this long history of, like, this kind of promotion, the bragging and all of that stuff and trying to make it a show to fight it and hype it. And, but there should be some – if you are that talented – should is a tough word because we are right. this is this is the era we live in for sure but that should count for something right it should count for something when this is how you make your living i of co- i agree yeah. now back in the day let's go back to uh ali's fighting so you had okay. one guy that could really talk right. and then on the other side no matter whoever he fought they were not great talkers, but back then we would sit down and listen to Howard Cosell or we'd read the story right. and every person would have a character that would be built I'm looking around media right now. You know who's getting the big jobs? The people that are loud. I mean, I that we takes. Have, there are networks out there that are building completely based off of people who just have crazy opinions that they don't believe. And we look at all these these people in media that have substance, that have experience. It's not as important. We live in an Instagram 15 seconds, let me get a clip and push it. We don't have writers that are building characters. We have people that are sharing their videos, and that's what's going viral. So these guys, and I understand it's, it's upsetting. 
because you see a sport and you see the romance of it and you go, shouldn't they be rewarded for being good? But realize that it's changing and change with it. That's all I'm going to say. Lefko, you talking us out of a job, bro? Hey, man. I'm trying to talk myself <laughs> into, into a job, job right now, man. You talking us out of a job, bro. Okay. Uh, with that, I don't know what, how to segue that well, but I should tell the strip club story. Yes. Speaking of things going viral and doing things for 15-second clips. Bang. This was... This was something that actually happened on Thursday night. I was at Barclays Center for the Mayweather-McGregor third stop on the hype train tour, right? And this was, if you're getting confused on which day was which and what was the day that Connor said that Floyd couldn't read and what was the mm. day when, you know, Floyd was using homophobic slurs, all this stuff kind of goes together in this big soup. While it shouldn't, it does. This was the time when Floyd was throwing money in the air mm. at Connor. I would have picked all of it up. And Connor said, it. it's $1 bills, $1 bills, right? So Floyd comes back through the back to the media area. And I said, Floyd, uh, what did you, you know, what, what was the money about? You know, why the money? And he said, well, Connor can't stop talking about how I own a gentleman's club. So I thought I should make it rain on him so he understands what it's like to be a dancer in one of my clubs, right? Very kind of him to provide that explanation. <laughs> it didn't stop there, Adam <laughs> Lefko. Then he goes into a very detailed, almost like he was um, like the health department or something, like some kind of government agency about exactly what the difference is in Las Vegas between a gentleman's club and a strip club. And I just left the mic out. I'm just letting him go. Did at you this know point, there was a difference? Um, no, I did not. Neither uh, did I. <laughs> well, I can tell you all what it is because I got an education from that Mayweather-McGregor press conference. Apparently, a strip club, and I don't know if this is worldwide, and, and if you want to call in, okay, but keep it clean, 855-212-4CBS. We're going to reserve the right to not take the call as well. A strip club is when the women get completely naked. Oh. A gentleman's club, according to Floyd, is when they only get topless and, and most importantly, you can serve food. Food. Yeah. Which is one of the most unbelievable. When I meet someone that tells me, you know who has great food? Strip clubs. Yeah. Rick's I Cabaret. Yeah, I immediately go, I'm never going to eat with you. And your taste in food is like, no, Anthony Bourdain, you are not. I can never imagine eating while someone is Getting it made rain on top of it. Come on. That's well, insane. But hey, you there's can like serve logi- food. There's logistical things. Sticky. Just sticky. Gross. Barbecue sauce. Just all <laughs> different types of things. I mean, the, what are we doing here? Is it like a teriyaki together? glaze? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of certain things. I mean, also things could be hot. That could be dangerous. You know, what if something flips over and then all of a sudden you got a lot of bare skin? I, what I like, though, is the fact that Floyd had to describe it to you means that he's done that a lot. <laughs> I used to he live. I to used go. to live on Roosevelt Island in New York. Yeah. That was the response I always got. Oh. <laughs> and they and a lot of what people. Was that like? A lot of people would be like, "Oh, what's that like?" And I'd you have, have to take a. You have to take a, 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 a trolley. Tram. Yeah. A tram. So I would have like a forty-five second spiel, like an elevator pitch. Well, you can take it over. You could take the train. That's what Floyd apparently has had to do for the better part of a decade. Is technically a gentleman's club. You don't take <laughs> off the pants. Yeah. This, and, yeah. Roosevelt Island, that's like uh, that's like with Seinfeld, you know, when Kramer goes downtown, his girlfriend, and he's like, it's 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 morning here. What time is it down yes. there, right? Like, what is Roosevelt Island? That's a total, that's a, that's a mind-blowing for me. I love that he naturally went into it, and I'm sure he actually felt like... He, he educated me. But did, when you looked in his eyes, could you tell that he was proud yes. to tell you the difference? Very much so. Yeah, he and studied v- it. Very proud of his business, as you can tell. 
which I'm sure is being audited by the IRS as we speak, much like many of the ventures that Floyd Mayweather has gotten himself into. We are going to watch him go broke. Make no mistake, whether he gets another hundred million off of this fight or not, it's going to be very depressing. Broke. Yes, it's going to be depressing. Broke. I mean, just reading the story about Clinton Portis, which SI did (sighs) in the "Where Are They Now?" issue. Probably could have seen that coming as well, but you feel terrible when these guys get ripped off. Then they don't help themselves by buying 11 cars and having five houses and having this crazy payroll. Uh, we have plenty more to talk about with this fight. First of all, 99.95 for mm. the Mayweather-McGregor. Too much? Too low? Would you pay it? Are you going to pay it? We have plenty more to get into with this discussion, but we should get to a little sports rewind. Let's do it. Adam Lefko, we're going to ask questions to you throughout the show to get to know you. But Uh-oh. the first one, going back to July 15, 2005, this is Rafael Palmero reaches his 3,000th hit plateau. Let's talk about it. Palmero collected an RBI double off of Seattle's Joel Pinero in the fifth inning of his 3,000th major league hit, becoming the 26th player to accomplish that career-defining feat as the Orioles beat the Mariners 6-3 in front of almost 40,000 people at Safeco Field. And Palmero became the first player since Ricky Henderson in 2001 to collect 3,000 hits. Palmero also became just the fourth player to get 3,000 hits and 500 homers. He joined Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and Eddie Murray in that elite group. As he stood on second base, his teammates, coaches, and sons Patrick and Preston came running onto the field to congratulate him. Fighting off tears, Palmero grabbed 10-year-old Preston, lifted him in the air. The crowd gave him a standing ovation for three minutes. After the game, Palmero was welcomed back to the clubhouse for a champagne toast by manager Lee Mazzilli. In fact, it was a Domain Michel, which I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. If not, let me know. There was a bottle of this expensive champagne sitting at his locker. Here's what he said. I was numb going around the bases, and for the most part, I don't remember anything. I guess I'm glad it's over with, and now we can concentrate on the season As his uniform was dripping with champagne, he said it was emotional. I wasn't expecting the standing ovation. I really appreciated that. July 15, 2005, Rafael Palmero reaches his 3,000th hit plateau. That's what happened today in sports history. So 2005, Palmero's hit. Do you remember that? Where were you? No, but I remember that he has one of my favorite quotes ever. He was the one. I've never used steroids. steroids. (laughs) Period. Question mark. I'll never forget someone getting up in front of me and going, I'm never lying and I swear to God. And then like six months later, it's like, no, he was completely lying. Everything is that why he was numb around the bases because (laughs) he he had just shot. Oh, Um, so here's the thing that Rafael Primero taught me, which is never point. Oh, if you point. point. You will get on replay for the rest of your life. You cannot point at Congress. He pointed and he announced punctuation like he was doing a Siri text. Like that, when I talk to people, I'm like, Maggie, comma, I'll be in the office in six minutes, comma, see you soon, period. He, he, I've never used steroids, period. I'll never forget that. And then we see Andy Pettit. Guys, if you're doing steroids, just admit it. And look at Andy Pettit. Everyone's like, what a hero. He's incredible. Well, he's like a God-fearing man. That was the other part of it. It's like, yes. well, if you really believe in a higher power, the guilt will be so heavy on your soul that you uh-huh. will have to admit that you did this wrong thing. Actually, I have a really interesting thought about the steroid era and Aaron Judge and sort of how this is Don't coming to an intersect. No, 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 it's not, it's not where you think I'm going with I it. I hope not. We're going to do that at the top of the next hour. Of course, we can still talk Mayweather, McGregor. We want to know 99 95 You paying that? You paying that for McGregor? You think you 
If they said it was $120, would you pay that? Meanwhile, a question for Adam Lefko. We're going to get to know Lefko. This is the first one. You're going to get to think about it for a whole segment. If you could take one television show with you on a desert island where you knew you'd be stranded for an infant amount of time, Infinitesimal? Infant or infinite? Infinite. Infinite amount of time would be I was so close. We're almost at the end of the hour, and I almost got there. One TV show you can take with you to a desert island. Game of Thrones comes back on Sunday. That is the the motivation behind this question. We're going to find out what TV shows Adam Lefko of Bleacher Report is into. You can think about that. It is Maggie Gray Moose on vacation. Well-deserved vacation. Call us up. 855-212-212. For CBS, that is the number to get involved. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Maggie Gray, at Adam Lefko, at Moose and Maggie. There are so many ways to do it. Let us know what's on your mind. I'm going to tell you where I think the crazy intersection of steroids and Aaron Judge is right now. He's not using them. I'm not saying he's using them. Scary me. You're going to want to hear what I have to say next. I guarantee that. One hour down, three left to go. It is the Moose and Maggie Show here on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Hour two of the Moose and Maggie Show. Moose is somewhere. He's on the beach. He's kicking back with a margarita, maybe a martini. Who knows? Maggie Gray here. Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report and the Sims and Lefko podcast is here with us. We have a lot of irons in the fire cooking this morning. We're talking a little Mayweather-McGregor. We are going to talk for a second about Aaron Judge. We have some Kevin Durant stuff that I want to get into with you too, Adam. But first, I should mention we are coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studio. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Now, another iron that's in the fire, something we're going to continue throughout the course of the show, which is getting to know Adam Lefko. We met only before the show today, about a half an hour before the show. Know a lot of people in common, but have never met. So we have a series of questions where the entire Musa Maggie family can get to know Adam. So the first question was, going back to the last hour, was if you were going to be stranded on a deserted island for who knows how much time. Maybe it's castaway time, right? You're growing a beard like Tom Hanks. What TV show... Would you take with you if you could only take one? You got to turn your mic up, bro. How do I? T- oh, there it there is. I wish I had control <laughs> over my microphone. You do. It's right here. Okay. We'll get to that in the next break. Um, f- I hear we have some suggestions on Twitter. We People do. So, of in. course, you can. Yeah, you- let me just hear what they're saying so I can tailor mine. Okay. Well, of course, you can hit us up on Twitter at Moose and Maggie, at Maggie Gray, at Adam Lefko. Three ways you can go about doing this. And I like this one from... Anthony, who says Jeopardy. Interesting. I can binge watch Trebek for eons. Hashtag true daily double. Anthony's got a smart take there because, first of all, Jeopardy, make yourself smarter. Right. So many episodes. It's been on forever. You so can you're play along. Constantly getting a new episode. Feel like you get that human interaction while you're on a deserted yeah. island. Love Trebek. All right. So I'm going to take that. Not going to go with that. Okay. I, I think it's actually, I would begin to loathe Trebek. You know what I mean? I would begin carving his face into the palm trees and going, This is like Saturday Night Live. Smug. Uh, yeah, exactly. He Damn you, Trebek. Guy. Yeah. The so Sean Connery. I have three things that I need in order to be a show. One, it needs to be repeatable, going along with Jeopardy. Thus, Game of Thrones, The Wire, stuff of that nature. I can't watch Rewatchability. It. Yes. I cannot watch something I know. There can't be twists and turns because it will no longer. I'll be like, oh, no, that's coming. Second Red thing. Wedding. T- 
tons of episodes. It can't be a short, uh, it can't be like a one or two seasons. It needs to be on for a long time. And three, I need to be able to laugh. I'm on a deserted island. I have to have fun. I'm down to three. Yeah. Three options. Number one, curb your enthusiasm. Number two, I'm going family guy over the Simpsons. And the one I'm choosing is Seinfeld. I I had a feeling that Seinfeld was going to be kind of top of your list. So here's what I was thinking about, right? Yes, you want Seinfeld always puts me in a good mood. No matter what mood I'm in in the beginning, I'm in a good mood at the end, which could come in handy on a deserted island. Definitely. Because you're going to go through some bad days. You got to learn how to spear fish. You're catching rainwater. I mean, it's going to be bad, right? No deodorant. It's it's going to suck. Yes. So you want to be put in a good mood. But at the same time, I've seen every episode of Seinfeld so many times that I'm, I'm now watching for eternity. Would I like to change it up? So do I roll the dice and maybe do a, a series that I've never seen before? Like, do That's I go back and... the craziest thing I've I heard you say today. Do I go and rewatch today. the West Wing? I've never saw the West Wing. Lots of episodes. People love it. Maybe now I'm intrigued, right? How many times have someone told you, you got to try this? And then you go and you go, what the heck were they thinking? You're going to roll. I'm putting you on a deserted island. You're going to go, the one thing is something. I'll pick the show I've never seen before. That's crazy. (laughs) Well, I'm just throwing out some options there, okay? Yeah. I also love. You're out of your mind. Along with Anthony, our producer, huge fans of Mad Men. Okay. Mad Men's great. Great. Rewatchability, very high. Doesn't have the dramatic, you know, twists and turns like a Red Wedding, a Game of Thrones, you know, spoiler alert, Jon Snow comes back to life, etc. Don't have that, which would be which would be ruined. It's more of just this long sort of drawn out, you know, kind of for me. the, The thing about Seinfeld that's amazing is getting upset about really dumb things. And if I'm on a deserted island where it's life and death every day or I feel like I would go, what's the deal with coconuts? You open them and there's water inside. It's the only thing I've eaten in a month. It would allow me to look at being on a deserted island and see all the minutia as actually funny. But then I also think I'd come back to society because let's say I do get saved and I'm going to expect the 90s in a New York apartment that's 3,000 square feet. And I'm going to come back and there's going to be flying cars. And I'm going to be really confused. You think that apartment was 3,000 square feet? No. What are you, crazy? I think, it's, I think that was about... That was 1,000 square feet. 1,000. Max. We yeah. don't know how big Jerry's room it's was. Not, it's not like Friends. There, there are a friends lot... Friends like yes, ridiculous. Or Will and Grace yeah. where they lived in these insane apartments. That always upsets me about a TV show based in New York. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're getting off topic a little bit. But, okay, one thing I thought about, I also... So I've often called myself the Larry David of my own life. Okay. Because things like that tend to happen to me. Like, I would be the one who trips Shaquille O'Neal at a game, uh. stuff like that. So I can understand wanting that sort of levity. I would love to do Veep. Because Veep is phenomenal. Not enough episodes. Not Only enough episodes. Only six seasons, right? Six, maybe seven. You need something like 10, 11, 12 seasons. I like yes. where you went with Family Guy over The Simpsons, which I would also take. But that's really, I love Family Guy. Sure. But it is one note. It's one note. And I think I would probably get sick of that. And, and I do find Seinfeld and Kirby Enthusiasm to be more intelligent humor. And again, it's about how ridiculous other people are. And I, I can laugh about that until I'm blue in the face. Okay, so that was one question. We're getting to I know like Adam Lefko. I thought it was going to be much more prying. That was that was good. No, we're, we don't want to know your social security number. It's okay. We, 182. <laughs> uh, okay, we're talking with uh, about TV shows. We're going to have another question as we get to know Adam Lefko through the course of the show. I mentioned, though, before we went to break um, about Aaron Judge, right? Mm. Our, our sports rewind today was Rafael Palmero's 3,000th hit. And we, you know, because of the steroid era, they're created this cynicism 
in sports that I think lasted up until a very, very short time ago. I mean, I'm talking Jose Bautista 2010 when he gets more than 50 home runs. I'm talking about Chris Davis was 2013 when he started belting home runs. That was that was not that long ago, Adam. And I think we were all waiting. And Davis would say he's getting drug tested after every single game. People were waiting for them to get popped. And to their credit, they didn't. But people were waiting for that shoe to drop, right? They're doing this incredible feat. They have to be doing it dirty. There's no way that this could be what we think it is. What are we watching? We're watching a joke, right? Aaron Judge has now been, I think, further and he's far enough from the steroid era where people can cheer for him without cynicism. And we saw this on Monday at the Home Run Derby. Didn't do as well in the All-Star game, but that's fine. We saw this at the Home Run Derby, which was the highest-rated Home Run Derby that we've ever seen and was higher than the All-Star game, which is interesting, this exhibition. And I think that people love him, not just in New York, But I think people love him and want him to become the face of baseball because there's not even a shred or a hint that he could possibly be doing it dirty. I think that this is something that baseball fans and sports fans beyond that have wanted for a really long time. A big guy who's different, who we can root for, who we think is doing it clean, and we can all love baseball again without having to raise an eyebrow or have a shred of cynicism. I think that's a huge part of the Aaron Judge story. I think also to that steroid uh, discussion, this man is 6'7", 282. He is bigger than Jadavian Clowney. He is bigger than Rob Gronkowski. He is bigger than both Bennett brothers. So there's no reason to question just based on sheer size. The man has a gap on his teeth, gap in his teeth that you immediately go, well, he doesn't really care about, you know, uh, appearance. That's what always I think uh, people love Strahan about is there's a sense of innocence when there's something. I, I Look, as someone who has a gap in their teeth, Do you? Eh, it's a little bit smaller. Okay. But when you're younger, you know, it's brought... Hey, bef- you're, you're talking like you're like Lauren Hutton. I mean, <laughs> before braces, Maggie? Oh, my gosh. Oh, before braces. But I think when you see that, you go, you go, huh, he's got a gap in his teeth. He's a child. He's like 25 years old. He grew up in the Yankees farm system. He's obsessed with Derek Jeter. He seems like an all-around good guy. Uh uh, th- there's so much innocence in Aaron Judge. And also, you talked about the the baseball, all the experts, and the number one comment that kept being said during the home run competition is his swing, his motion, the, his actual foundation of what it's built on. There's actual reasons why we can explain all of this power, how mm. compact it is. While Barry Bonds did do steroids, it was the thing that amazed everybody. It was how compact he could bring his arms, how quickly he could turn. There was no part of the plate on the inside that you can get him outside. And you look at Aaron Judge, he handles every interview perfectly. We can do the Jimmy Fallon segments where we put him in the middle of Union Square and no one knows who he is. And we can look at him and go, this is not a one-year grab bag. This is someone that we could really sustain it. And I think that innocence combined with his size takes away all those questions you were saying and I do think there's something to it um I, it, we can normally tell when guys are a little juiced I, I think you can cut there's like a body type that we can normally assign there's a statistical anomaly that we look at Aaron and go it's right in the beginning 
we imagine this will continue over years. Well, who was the Miami Marlins guy who got popped G- last year? Oh, no. I was going to say Giancarlo Stanton. No, no, just, no, no, no. That was so huge. It was but, D. Gordon. Thank yes. you, Duff. D. Gordon didn't have a body that you would associate with right. any kind of steroids. I mean, he wasn't juiced at all. He, he was, was that more statistical about, anomaly that was crazy. It was more about, I think, the recovery at this point. But I'm curious, if you are nationwide, right, Yankees inspire so much love, so much hate, but are you looking at Aaron Judge and you're just saying, I can root for this guy, right? I can because we've had other players, especially here in New York, who love Jeter, compare themselves to Jeter. Happened to Matt Harvey. He did the same thing with Jimmy Fallon, right, and Brian Park. Right. And he, th- there was a very similar path that they were going on. And Harvey, I mean, it's all blown up at mm. this point, not just because of the injuries and sparring with the Mets over recovery methods and things like that, but Adriana he, Lima. He him, he's parting himself out of the league potentially, right? Along with the uh, the bad injury. You talked about this with Mayweather and McGregor. Yeah. You want the hero and you want the villain. And what's happened in baseball the last five years is that hero and villain, from my perspective, has been Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Mike Trout was the guy that was, you know, grit, grind, put his head down, team player. Bryce Harper was hair flip, bat flip, I'm great and you need to know it. Now, I don't think either of them are villains. I don't think either of them don't work hard, and I don't think either of them are are, are taking a load off. I think they both work hard, but I think Aaron Judge is much more in the Mike Trout mode of I'm smiling, I'm happy to be here, right. um, I'm never going to say I'm bigger than the team, and for that to happen in New York, it's part of the reason why people want Bryce Harper in New York, because the combination of that little bit of ego, and it's right. not a little bit, it's a no, good it's a amount of ego yeah. in New York, but there's talent. And that's the thing with Matt Harvey is how much really was there to begin with? Well, I mean, I don't know. The guy who started the All-Star game, he pitched in the World Series. He got left in too long because he was pleading with Terry Collins. Mm. I mean, that, I think, changed a lot. And of I loved him after the, that. The I really of, did love Unfortunately, him. it hurt his career it and did. it hurt the Mets in that World Series. It did. Here's the thing about Trout, though, and this is where I think Aaron Judge this is the next thing that has to happen because let's be honest, it has only been a half a year. When he got called up last season, he was not great. And he's 25 and Harper and Trout have been doing this since, since they were, they were like 21. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that what is Trout missing, right? Well, he's missing a postseason moment. Mm. I mean, if you really want to go back to what made Jeter so big, it was, it's everything that gets combined into the story, New York, the dating famous people, but it was the clutchness and it was also playing in October. I mean, what was it? For his first five seasons, they won four World Series? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I mean, we got to know him in a way where all the other teams were sent home and sent packing and sent fishing, and we were watching Jeter brilliance and the Yankees' brilliance into October. Mike Trout has had no postseason exp, uh, you know, moments to speak of. Yeah, they made it to the postseason. They haven't stuck around. And he has not been good in the postseason. And so if I'm Judge or if I'm baseball and I want Aaron Judge to be the face and I want him to become a superstar to cross over. Here's the thing about Bryce Harper. We love him. Baseball fans think a certain type of way about him. But he doesn't cross over into the mainstream. His Q rating is not where LeBron James is, you know, or anything like that. Not even close. It's probably not where Conor McGregor's is. But... I never they really, need a postseason moment. That's what Judge needs. If they you they keep need them for sure. And I think what's tough is those 90 Yankees teams. I mean, what Jeter walked into with, you know, Posada yeah. and Bernie Williams. And those teams were unbelievable. And Mariona Rivera. Paul O'Neill. Sure. And, I, and I look at Trout and, I, and Harper. And I do not like to blame athletes for a lack of postseason success early because a lot of times great guys get drafted to lesser franchises. That's how they were able to take those guys. 
But when they get on that stage, can they capitalize? And that's what we're going to see. And I hope the Yankees make it to the postseason. Baseball's more fun when it's there. It's the same thing with the Cowboys in the NFL. Same thing with the Raiders in the NFL. Uh, It's the same thing with the Knicks in the NBA. But I don't like to punish young guys. But, yeah, if Judge gets on the stage and then smashes – Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, you have to put reasonable expectations, right? The expectation for Trout in the postseason should be high. Of course. I mean, all the metrics say that he's the best baseball player to ever step on a diamond if he continues in this trajectory. And obviously, the injuries are a real setback. But you have I think you set the expectations where they should, where they need to be. And if they exceed them, then it's great, like Jeter did with the Yankees early on. And if you fall short of them... I think that it should land on your shoulders. I mean, Bryce Harper, he was talking about how he doesn't like New York. After three days, he wants to leave. That's fine. But at some point, he's going to start feeling the urgency of wanting to win a World Series. And if the Nationals, who are battling the same things that they've been battling for a while, the lack of bullpen help, they are not addressing the concerns that are so clear. If he doesn't feel like they're ever going to get there, this is like Chris Paul with the Clippers. Have we gone as far as we can go and – can we just have we reached our ceiling and our peak at some point? I know Chris Paul is obviously much older than Bryce Harper. At some point, that sense of urgency sets in for an athlete. When LeBron James went to Miami, many reasons. But what was the one quote that stood out to me? I'm, I don't want to be 30 years old with bad knees and no rings. This is a real thing. And I think for the superstars of the league, it becomes even more pressurized because they have uh, sponsors. They have everyone looking to them and saying, what have you done? We're going to continue this conversation. We got to get to a break. Adam Left goes in for Moose today on the Moose and Maggie Moose. show. So much more to talk about. Tell us what you think. Aaron Judge, what do you think? You like him? You don't like him? What do you think about baseball in general? 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. More to come next on the Moose and Maggie show. This is the Moose and Maggie show on CBS Sports Radio. It's your girl Maggie in this morning. Adam Lefko filling in for Moose, who's Turn on, mic on vacation. Hey, you're, you're learning things. It's Imagine this on button over here, Maggie. It's <laughs> it's great. It can trip you up. I understand it. Imagine how much you're going to know at the end of this four hours. Uh, we're with you until 10 a.m. Eastern time. Of course, coming up just a couple minutes, we're going to have Jeff Lewis, the CEO of the American Flag Football League. He is going to join us. I'm sure you guys saw. Videos of Michael Vick and Terrell Owens out there playing flag football. Yeah, We're we'll, gonna get we'll to tackle that. the big issues. Not in their league. But um, ching. Thanks. Yeah, uh, that Appreciate was pretty good. You can walk out now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay, we're also asking questions to Adam. We're getting to know Adam Lefko this morning. We already found out that the one TV show he would take to a deserted island is Seinfeld. Yeah. We're going or to the Bachelor. Ooh, are you a Bachelor fan? Also, uh, I w- I loathe it. I watch it, I I stand up, and I go, this guy's a clown, he's a clown, get him out of here. Yeah, I just... They're they're beautiful idiots is what the men are. There are some people that are on that show that don't realize they're on a show. And they're like, I've I've hung out with her twice, and I'm in love with her, and I'm going to marry her, and I I just don't... I want to meet her family, and I'm sitting there going... If you were hanging with me in New York, you'd be like, you know, I've I've hung out there for for nine months and I don't know. But they're <laughs> she on a wants TV. me to meet her family. Like, geez, slow yeah, down. Geez. It's only been a year and a half. But on a show, they're like, I've hung out with her for twenty seven minutes, and this is it. I'm certain. Yeah, it's the crazy. The fact that you think that they are not all winking and nodding is really they, they're not. I don't think enough of them are intelligent. Like, well, are you watching The Bachelorette right now? I am. Okay, I'm on Peter a group gets thread. it. Peter gets it. No, the other guy, Brian, and we're going to get to the sports in a moment, he's but a Brian ball. was on another show. Oh, yeah. They oh, went no, back and complete. dug it up. But Adam, 
Okay, so the the two there was uh, two other guys that just got eliminated, and I'm telling you guys, people that don't watch the show that are listening, uh, this is what happens when you have a girlfriend, you watch the show. Uh, they legitimately were like, you know, I just I want time with her. And I want her to meet my family. Way and to I'm blame si- the girlfriend, Adam. No one's buying that. We've seen right through you. You're we right. know that you're watching you're the right. show, girlfriend or not. We're talking shows about. Are okay, so your next question, you can think about this one. Okay, okay. The purchase in your oh. life that you've regretted the most, something you spent money Already on. Okay, it. save it. We're gonna, I'm gonna head save it. To it Taylor. goes back to last week's show. It's a hint. Okay. Nice tease. Taylor is in Fort Worth, Texas. We were talking about Aaron Judge, and you can root for him without cynicism. Taylor, you're up on CBS Sports Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Maggie. How's it going? Doing great, Taylor. What's on your mind? Nothing much. Um, First of all, I'm from Texas, big Texas Rangers fan, and there's not that many great things, positive things I can say about the New York Yankees. However, Aaron Judge is the exception. The way that this kid handles himself, it's absolutely phenomenal. He's so humble. It's just watching watching him in the home run derby, you know, he was clearly one of the favorites to win other than Stan. And the way that he just carries himself, it's just almost phenomenal to me because, you know, he's just a kid. And, he's, you know, all he wants to do is go out there and, you know, just hit bombs. And just watching – the home run derby, it just absolutely amazed me. Not only, A, with the way that he carried himself, but also some of those bombs that he was hitting, like 513 feet. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was a really fun to watch, Taylor. Thanks a lot. And you weren't the only one. It was the highest-rated home run derby that they've ever had, which is amazing. You know what's funny, though, about the comment, he handles himself so well? And I get it, and Judge is. Yeah, yeah, but everyone yeah, yeah. handles themselves so well until they don't. Exactly. <laughs> that can change very, very fast. I think... He hit on my big point about why we love this guy. I think it's the same reason we love Steph Curry, and I think it's the same reason that we love Jeter in the 90s. Jeter in the 90s came along, and he was surrounded by a lot of veterans, and he was the baby. And fans, when you see someone that's very young, you see them mature, you see them grow, and you almost feel a little bit of kinship with them, and you feel actually a little bit responsible for seeing a kid grow. I remember when he was a baby. It's the reason why Steph Curry was loved. He looks like a child out there. I know, but Steph is not 6'7 and 280 pounds. Steph that people love because he's the, weirdly, he's an underdog, even though his father was an NBA player. He gets the underdog status because he never got recruited to a yes. big school and but all that. But when you look at Judge's face, you can see the baby in him. And when you see him interviewed, he's like, I'm just happy to be here. The humility adds to the innocence. And that's why I think certain guys, LeBron has had it tough since he started because LeBron looks older than he is. How how old is he really? The guys that are a little bit more mature, I mean, Greg Oden had no chance. He looked (laughs) like he was 75 years old. But I think there's something to an athlete's appearance that is endearing to fans because we go, man, to be on that stage and to be that young, well, I'm really happy for Aaron Judge, even though he is 6'7", 282. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Judge is expensive. I mean, we should be expecting some really great things just considering his body, what he's able to do. I feel like Steph was an unexpected surprise. I mean, he was a lottery pick. Don't get me wrong. But, like, the shooting ability, I think, and just the fact that he has this sort of underdog, uh, like, persona around him. Plus, I mean, the Warriors were terrible. He brought them back or helped to bring them back to a place of relevance, which is just – it's – Amazing on its own. If you were around for the Andres Beadrins and the Ike oh. Diagu, you know, draft picks, 
you deserve this right now. That's interesting about a baby face. I got to think about that a little bit if I think that's the reason why Judge It's a theory I've had so for a long time. A, the I'm baby think face about theory. That. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Summer's heat can cause your battery fluids to evaporate. Get your battery tested for free. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the battery you need. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Maggie Gray here with Adam Lefko hey. filling in for Mark Malusis as Moose is on vacation. Let's welcome in our first guest of the morning. And this is interesting. How often do you have an entrepreneur, former hedge fund, hedge fund manager, who decides to try and disrupt one of the biggest sports industries that we have, and that would be football. Jeff Lewis is the CEO of the American Flag Football League. He joins us now on Moose and Maggie. So, Jeff, good morning. Um, first question for you. Where did this seed idea come from? How long did you have to work on it before you were able to launch? Uh, good morning. Um, thanks for having me on. Um <laughs> it, it it came from watching kids play, um, you know, like so many people, um, their experience of this game has, is either playing themselves as kids or, or going and coaching and watching their own kids uh, play. Even uh, even Michael Vick, uh, you know, his connection to play football is that his sixth grade, his sixth grade daughter uh, is the quarterback of her high school's uh, girls flag football team. So, um you know, watching the game and seeing that it really um, it's a much better game to watch than pretty much anything else that kids play made me figure, wow, if it's better watch, you know, watching kids play, then maybe it's better watching the world's best athletes play, too. And I thought they looked uh, fantastic in, in that first game. It's interesting when you think about the word disruption. So, like, it was UFC and combat sports. We're seeing LeVar Ball trying to do it with the shoe companies right now. Music, you know, Chance the Rapper did it without a label. There's always doubts in the beginning with someone when they try and disrupt. And I'm curious, why do you believe that your disruption will be successful? I mean, I saw all the highlights a week or two ago, but what makes you think, you know what, this will work? Well, you know, I think if, if people uh, pursue something and their and their reason for pursuing it is well, you know, I like something, so I'm I'm so that makes me confident that I can make other people like it too. If that's your strategy, that's not enough. You don't have enough to go on. And and our view is that frankly, you can kind of dispassionately kind of break down every sport. And you can look at the data. You can look at what fans are saying they like and what fans are saying needs to change. You can look at the popularity of sports. You can look at the popularity of them as participation activities. And, you know, there's a lot of data. So you get away from opinion and you get into facts. I know in the, in the media these days, we sometimes have trouble distinguishing them, but they're still out there. And, uh, and if you get into facts, what do, you, what do you find out? You find out that there's only three sports that didn't shrink on a, a, that have any major scale in terms of participation in the last five years. And they're hockey, lacrosse, and flag football. And essentially flag football is the size of those other two combined. And flag football is, is in that position without any you know governing body, without any sure. uniformity, without any rules, any pop warner, without any championships. You know, it's just it's it's haphazard and yet it is incredibly vibrant. The other the other facts or that you can is that when you look at what are the good qualities and the bad qualities, what people like and don't like about the major sports, what we think we've done is we've added um, a lot of the good qualities that other sports have 
to the best qualities that football already has. And by keeping the action, the passing, the, the, uh, the, the scoring, the spectacular plays, but then adding on to that the connection. If you look at basketball, soccer, sports that, at least in this country, are not necessarily nearly as popular as football, they still are much more successful at connecting people to their players themselves. One of the smartest comments I heard recently was that in a lot of sports in this country, people are, are not even rooting for teams anymore. They're rooting for players because of what social media is doing to allow them to connect to those players. But also, if you play a sport like basketball or soccer, where you're not covered up the year, um, you start to get to know those players, and you start to, to have a real relationship with those players as characters, rather than just as numbers and, and logos. So we felt like taking the simplicity of soccer uh, stripping football down in that way, uh, getting rid of the helmets and the shoulder pads, allowing people to connect, um, that we would basically take the best of basketball, the best of soccer, the best of football. And so why wouldn't that be something that should have a pretty broad appeal? I mean, we'll find out over time, but sure. yeah. what's not to like? Well, the, yeah, the, and the market will bear it out. Jeff Lewis, our guest, he's the CEO of the American Flag Football League. I'm sure, Jeff, when you first decided to launch this venture, or maybe before, you had to do a lot of research into the NFL and just the football business in general. From, I'm sure, the research that you've done, you're a smart guy, I'm sure you wouldn't get into this blind, what do you think the future holds for the NFL? And do you think that flag football will ever, I mean, we're talking probably pretty far down the road, get into the same stratosphere or conversation as the NFL? Well, I think that flag football is very, very different from tackle football because essentially flag football is the game we all play in our backyard or in the schoolyard. Um, flag football doesn't require the uh, logistical and, and resource commitment. I mean, a, a, a traditional football game is an undertaking. Think about what every, every high school and junior high school and junior college that's out there creating a football team is spending an enormous amount of money. Um, it takes an enormous amount of effort. To, to just simply play a game with all that stuff, all those players, all those coaches, all the trainers. It's, a, it's an amazing undertaking. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at how popular soccer is at the grassroots level, a lot of that goes back to, hey, all you need is a ball and a rectangle and a bunch of people running around, right? And essentially, you know, that's what touch football is. It's a ball and a bunch of people um, in, in, in a rectangle. We can... Essentially, we were taking football really to that level of simplicity. Um, so, the, you know, you obviously have the concerns of a lot of parents about having their children playing the game. There's certainly still a tremendous number of unanswered questions um, about what the impact is of playing the game. And so if we present people with something, there is a very strong, very strong connection between what people watch as adults and as young adults uh, and what they played as children. Jeff, um, every sport knows about this, and we're very confident. We don't know how big we're going to be as a business, but we're very confident that once we kind of get out there and 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 uh, you know put down our flag, as it were, um, that we're going to be able to ignite a tremendous burst of participation for something that is already, as I said before, incredibly successful 
given a pretty much a complete lack of organization. Jeff, I have uh, Lefko's fantastic four tips to make you billions. I'm going to get to that in a second. But I heard <laughs> uh, Ice Cube talking when he was talking about the big three, and he said he wasn't going to launch it unless he got Iverson. He said he needed that star. You've got some big names, but I'm curious which one, when he agreed, did you go, ooh, that's the guy I needed? Well, our first... Our first commitment was Michael Vick, and he's an advisor of ours and has been a terrific partner. Um, and, you know, Michael Vick's the only guy that was ever the first pick in the NFL draft and the cover of the Madden game. Mm. And he, by the way, just happens to have the highest per rush average in the history of the NFL. So that seemed like a guy that was probably going to be fairly compelling, and he's sort of the ideal flag football player, at least in his Madden version, right? So um, so he obviously, you know, we were very happy to have the guys that we had. They put on a great show. They put on a great effort. And they were really competing with each other. There's a game that we played that no one has seen yet. Eventually, we'll have, well, I think we'll be able to put it out, which is the, which is the practice game we played the day before the game that everyone has seen. Sure. Um, and in that game, uh, Ocho Cinco and Owens were guarding each other uh, drawing at each other. Uh, the game ended, uh, it was a very close game. It ended on the last drive, uh, much lower scoring than the one that everyone has seen. And it was amazing. Um, and it was played without a single fan in the, in the stadium, not one, zero, um, just to test everything, test the, making sure the players knew the rules, making sure that everything was working with the, with the telecast and so on. And it was, and it was like, uh, it was such a cool thing. So I'm really excited. And at some point we're definitely going to, be able to put at least some significant highlights of that out there so that people can see when you, when you sort of have these guys alone, um, these great athletes, and they don't, they're not playing for the crowd. They're not playing for, for the expectation that anyone will ever see it, that they still perform and they still compete and they still have an amazing amount of fun. And to me, that's the most important thing. Okay, you, you can look, basically you you're saying you guys, can take the ga- the guy out of the game, but you can't take the game exactly. out of the guy. And I'm sorry to jump in on you, but we don't have a lot of time yeah. left, so I want to get to Adam's fantastic yes. four, whatever. And then both Jeff, both you and I are going to work as a team here, and we're going to go thumbs up on thumbs down on Lefko's ideas. Okay, so Adam, hit okay. it. What's number one idea? And for now Jeff for Lewis? Adam Lefko's fantastic <laughs> four free tips that will make Jeff billions of dollars. All I, right, does Jeff. Jeff already have billions? He was a hedge fund manager. Oh yeah. Well, guess what? You can never have enough billions, <laughs> Jeff. Number four. We've seen this with other leagues. Woo and then draft a college star. You got to start with Sam Darnold right now. You got to meet the family. You got to treat it like Herschel Walker with the USFL. And you got to say, you know what? Forget the other leagues. I'm playing for Big Jeff and the fan and the flag football. What do you think? Number four. Uh, I got, I'm afraid I have to give that the thumbs down. Oh, okay. Thumbs down on that. I'm also giving it a thumbs down because there's no way that you're going to get Sam Darnold. And everyone in you the Jets know. front office just put a hit out on your head, Adam Lefko. Number three Number idea. Number three, start signing NBA players. We saw LeBron and Durant playing flag football during the NBA strike. Hey, Westbrook's contract is up in a year. We can pounce on that. Otherwise, you know, it's scientifically proven that every major league sport has a Plumlee. Mason's available. <laughs> I say we get some of these athletes a little crossover action. Jeff, what do you think? I don't think Mason Plumlee is going to be your Absolutely guy. What do you think? thumbs up. Okay. Ooh. Thumbs up for Russell Westbrook, but not for Plumlee. He's not bringing in your don't audience. Don't you besmirch the Plumlee? <laughs> okay, you got to get that Duke fan base or else you're never going to survive, Jeff. Number two. 
subtly create an NFL strike and be the ultimate rebound league. Here is what we do. We leave notes in Tom Brady's locker that says Peyton Manning would have created a strike. He'll strike. Then we send a text to Aaron Rodgers and we say his family hates strikes. (laughs) Then he's striking. And then we have a Raven fly a note to J.J. Watt that says all the young kids love strikes. He's in. They strike. You send everyone a text. Hey, you up? I got ice cream they come over boom nfl's dead you're king number two what wait, do you, wait, think? Wait. you are gonna get a lot of new number who this yes you're gonna get a lot of new phone who this jeff what do we think we decks. subtly create an nfl strike um first of all i love to watch the nfl so i really don't want them to strike i did <sighs> notice richard sherman talking about strike yes. last week Need a lot of resolve uh, but, look, but we don't intend to play at the same time uh we intend to play uh may to july every year with the culminating with our with our big game taking place on the worst sports day of the year, that Black Thursday after the All Star game. So, there you, go. Um, you know, the day when when um, when uh, sports uh, fans are are looking around and finding out who the members of their family actually are and what they've been doing for the previous year. Okay, I, you're um, like the Roger Stone of this. Like you are political operative who's working behind the I scenes. Like this. All right, give us our number one, right, Adam. Lefko number tip. one, and if you did this tomorrow, I wouldn't be ashamed. This is actually very serious publicly invite Colin Kaepernick to play in your league. If you don't think you're going to move the needle and say, oh, there's one league that doesn't want him and we'll take him and he'd be a star and we'd be happy to showcase and stand by his side, publicly invite Colin Kaepernick to play in your league, you'd be on the front page of everything by tomorrow morning. Uh, Thumbs up. Major thumbs up. Jeff, do you think you'd actually extend the invitation? You could do it right here on Moose and Maggie. I, you know, we, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I would, I would suspect that with his level of ability and what the things that go on during training camp with injuries and so on, uh, that he's going to continue to be employed by, uh, by the NFL. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we're here, and uh, we'll be here next year, and the year after, and the year after. And Hell one yeah! Of the beautiful things about our game um, is that a player who maybe is in his thirties, uh, especially a quarterback, um, you know. The longevity of a quarterback in our game could be uh, pretty amazing. Um, you know, we had Jeff Garcia uh, play in the first game that we played, and then he announced the second. But he played in the first one, I think, at 47 years old. Well, Jeff and- is the he's, – he's just a wonder, and he's fantastic. He's also a quarterback coach. And, Jeff, I hate to do this to you. We are just flat out of time. We're up against a break. Thank you so much, Thank Jeff. you so much for joining us. Jeff Lewis, he's the CEO of the American Flag Football League. We love the first game. Michael Vick, Terrell Owens, they're killing it. And thank you so much for being our guest. We could have done an hour with Jeff Lewis, but unfortunately, we've got to go. Second hour, Moose and Maggie is down. Third to go, Adam Lefko in for Moose. We're going to talk about that Colin Kaepernick idea. That's a good idea. I know. I was really excited about it. That was a great idea. I'm even more excited to tell you the purchase I regret the The most. most. We're getting to know Adam Lefko next on Moose and Maggie. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Yes, we have two hours left to go. Maggie here, your girl, in with you on the Moose and Maggie Show. Adam Lefko of Bleacher Report and the Sims and Lefko podcast is filling in for Moose today. We got a lot of things going on. We so have our, much coffee. We have our second question out to Adam, which we're going to get to in a moment. The first question was TV show he would take to a deserted island. He said Seinfeld. 
The second question is the purchase that he has regretted the most in his life. Mm. We're going to get to that later on, but we should welcome in a friend of the show, Brian Custer, a Showtime Championship boxing host. If you're not familiar with Brian, and you already should be, but if you're not, you may know him as the guy who stood up trying to excite the crowd at the Barkley Center and then got booed by 12,000 people. Brian, you are like the best guy ever. Did you ever imagine that you were going to get the Bronx cheer from the people at the Barclays Center? I mean, first of all, you really got to remind folks about that. I mean, you're <laughs> I'm sorry. Brian, I've, the, the crowd would have booed. They booed Steven Espinosa, yeah. who I'm sure they didn't even yeah. know who he was, but he's the Showtime right. uh, boxing executive. Um, they booed. They would have booed their grandmothers up there. The yeah. crowd was yeah. just in the mood to boo. But what yeah. was it like to be on the receiving end of that? You didn't do anything. I mean, it wasn't about you. Yeah, it was crazy. That was kind of the reason why I said, you know, why are y'all acting crazy like that? This isn't Harlem. This isn't the Apollo. You know, <laughs> chill. Let these folks uh, speak, and then they're going to get to the fighters. And really, it all started from the first day of the press tour when we were in Los Angeles. And, you know, Connor wasn't used to the way boxing does press conferences compared to the MMA. Because in the MMA, they all sit down. And they, usually they have a person, uh, MMA analyst or something, in the middle of them, and he just asks questions, and everyone has a mic. And so, you know, you can answer your question, but yet as this guy's answering the question, you can respond with your mic in front of you. This one was different. Boxing, they usually have a podium, and a person comes up, he excites the crowd, he in- introduces Maggie, Maggie comes up, Maggie introduces Connor or introduces Floyd, and they each make their statement, and then they go back to their seat. Right. That's it. And so when we were in L.A., Connor didn't really know what to do. He kind of, first of all, walked on stage before, you know, it was it was his time. Hmm. It was, you know, and so that was, everybody was like, why is he on stage? And he just, if you remember, he walked around for like maybe five minutes, and uh, everybody was like, okay, well, let's just send everybody on stage because they were all going to get introduced. Uh, and, and then secondly, when it was his time to go speak at the podium, he didn't realize he had to give a speech. So that's why he kind of mumbled and jumbled for a little bit. And then he kind of went into his act. But he took the mic with him when he went back to sit down. And the venue there immediately ran another guy out and put a mic there at the podium. So when it was Floyd's turn to speak, he came to the, the podium, started speaking. Well, Connor was trying to respond as he was talking because he had a mic in his hand, but the venue had turned the mic off because they wanted just the podium mic on. So if you remember, after the first L.A. performance, he got, press so tour, he got mad and told the, the local press afterwards, Showtime sabotaged me. Yep. <laughs> and I know it was probably their president and those guys because they want to make Mayweather look good, but you know they're not going to do that to me anymore. So that kind of fueled the fire, and then he just really went after Steven Espinosa when we were in Toronto, called him a little weasel, and you guys tried to sabotage you, turn my mic off, you're not going to do that to me again. And once he did that, I mean, it was over. Once we got to Brooklyn, they uh. just... You say Showtime, oh, it was over. <laughs> I saw you tweeted out, uh, why is, if someone asked you, why is it taking so long? And you said, neither of them wants to be the first to arrive. It's all mind games. Did you notice any other mind games from the way they arrived to the way that they talked, the way that they handled anything? Just everything was a battle these last four days. What did you notice? Yeah, you're, you're right about that. You know, the reason why we were two hours late <sighs> in Brooklyn was because, first of all, Connor's team called and said, okay, it's Floyd to ride at the venue. 
And he said, no. His hotel was right down the street from the Barclays Center. And he said, all right, I'm not coming. Mm. I'm not coming until I know Floyd is either A, in the building, or on his way. So he said, I'm not coming. And then Floyd, people said, well, where is he? Where's Connor? Has he arrived yet? And he said, no. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Diamond District and go shopping. Call me when he's on his way to the venue. I know, Brian. So I was there. I was I was there on Thursday. You did a fantastic job. You really did. I mean, I literally mean that crowd would have booed their own grandmothers up there. They were just heated. But one other mind game that happened behind the scenes, which is crazy. It's like 10, 15, 10, 30. After they had got done on stage, they were bringing the guys back to do press with people like me and um, other other outlets. Right. And so Connor comes in first. And he's talking. He would have talked into a camera that had a dead battery, like a phone with a dead battery. He was doing Afghanistan TV. I mean, he was doing everything, right? And Con- they wouldn't let Connor come into the, the this big room as the practice court at the Barclays Center. They yeah. wouldn't let him come in because they didn't want the two of them to be in the same room. And I'm mm, like, absolutely. it's 1045 at night. I mean, yep. do we have to keep up the ruse even with yeah. us back here? We're in like yeah. this. We're we're in the middle of nowhere. Like you gotta you gotta let this happen. Uh, we're talking with Brian Custer. He is Showtime Championship Boxing. Maggie, he is I have a- an issue with Brian. You do? Uh-oh. Can I can I voice it? Oh wow. Okay. I watched Floyd come up wearing some real fancy clothes and jewelry. I yeah. saw Connor up there looking like an absolute don. Brian, you wore two sport coats and different pants, my man. I know you got some strong suits. And I'm yeah. looking at Brian. I'm like, come You're on, man. You're coming after Brian about I that? Am. You it, expect a mink coat fashion, out of Brian Custer? The fashion wow. of the last four days was crazy, and my man's wearing sport coats. And I'm sitting there going, come on, Brian. I know you got them shoes. What do you want, shoes. a bowler hat and a pair of Gucci glasses? Brian, I mean, what are you I, expecting, Larry? I need you to explain yourself, Brian. Okay, look, first of all, let me tell you something. My suit game is always on point. I know it <laughs> is. Always on point. Always on point. Secondly, it was the boss who said when we before we even started the tour, he said, "Look, you know, I don't, I don't really think that you need to be uh, suited and booted wow. for every stop." And he was like, "You know, why don't you make it more business casual? He sabotaged uh, you, you know, blazer, whatever." Uh, but he goes, "I don't think you really need a suit for anyway." I was like, "Okay." So I said, "You want me to just pack blazers?" For the for the stops, he's like, yeah, just do blazers. He's like, I, I don't think everybody's gonna be all suited and booted. Wow. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> so that was the main reason why I didn't do it. That's why right. Brian so, walked in with a Hawaiian yeah. shirt on. I mean, he looked great. He <laughs> looked did, great. I We're know, making I'm it seem messing. like he came in but wearing some gym shorts. I'm, since you know style, I'm curious which which style did you like the most? Connor's mink jacket that cost forty thousand plus. Floyd's tiger shirt and chains that we saw in London. Connor's fu suit, which was pretty exquisite. Connor also had the blue pattern suit. Or wild card, anything that Leonard Ellerby wore over the last four days. Right, right. Well, first of all, the first day in L.A., the fu suit oh. was lit. I love the fu suit because I didn't even catch it at the beginning. Look like a suit and pinstripe. Right. Until he came up and he, he looked back and he said, Look at the details. And I went, looked at him, I went, Oh, it says F you wanted. <laughs> then he made mention of it. Um, in Toronto, he was, I mean, phenomenal. phenomenal. I, his suit game his suit game was phenomenal. I, I can't I can't even argue with him. I thought Leonard Ellaby took Brooklyn. Uh, the purple look, white look mink. good, yeah. The blue yeah, glasses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That white mink, I was not fit, especially the snake on the back. If it was just all white, I would have said, okay. 
But, you know, he didn't have a shirt on. That's just not me. He, he oh, didn't have yeah. a shirt on. Yeah, I, I couldn't get with Bri- that. Brian's uh, a, little, a little more humble than that. It would have been funny <laughs> if you came up shirtless. You would have become an overnight success. That would have been instant, amazing. Right, instant exactly. star. Um, really interesting. Yeah, this is the fashion has been something else. I mean, everything yeah. about this, Brian, has been ratcheted up. Uh, you've done so many of these press conferences. We know the hype machine is in full effect. I think it's going to break the record for pay-per-views. It's gonna, I think it's going to break Mayweather Pacquiao's 4.6 million pay-per-view record. No doubt about it. But I'm just curious because we were talking about this earlier. These guys are now touching on these themes. They're saying stuff with their trash talk that they're they're trying to escalate the drama to a place that personally I think it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't yeah. think that this is a place to be having some kind of conversation about race, about the, right. the homophobic slur that Floyd right. used. Do you think that the guys going there, taking it to that extent, in any way is that hurting the promotion of the fight? Um, you know, I, I, I would say if it was any other fight, I would say yes, Maggie. Uh, but for this one, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think so. I just think it just gets their fan bases even more ratchet up. And I would look for me personally, I thought LA was great, I thought Toronto was phenomenal. It was almost as if once they got to Brooklyn, it got too vulgar. Mm. And it was like, okay, this is running down a, a bad path here. Obviously, they've run out of material and don't know what to say. And, you know, I'll give, at least I'll give Connor credit that after uh, uh, London, he even said, look, I, maybe we were tired and that quick turnaround for Brooklyn, uh, I could have been a little bit better. Um, I thought, you know, Floyd may have been somewhat creative. He said with the money raining or money on me saying I look, I look like I was dressed like a stripper. Uh, but some of the, the, the verbiage, and then when Floyd came to London and used all the homophobic slurs and stuff, it was just like, okay, I mean, dude, we don't even need to go there. You, you know, you can talk about uh, Connor, talk about him quitting, keep it there. But, you know, I think if it was any other fight, people would be like, oh, I'm, I'm turned off. But because it's these guys and their personalities, are so controversial people just their fan bases get even more ratchet up if the remarks i got on twitter from oh i can tell you connor's going to be just as dead because floyd said this and then floyd's people have been tweeting me about see how nasty and vulgar connor is he's going to do this this and this to him and i'm like i cannot believe these people are actually taking up for these folks oh well i guess this thing it will probably hit about five or over five million pay-per-view buys I got a, a two-parter for you. One, did you actually talk to Drake? I saw you took a picture, and what did you talk yep. about? And my second yep. part is, because I think the press conferences are going to be better than the fight, what's your scorecard for the four press conferences? Scorecard for the first press conferences. Uh, Mayweather took L.A. Um, Toronto was definitely, definitely Conor McGregor. Yes. Um, Brooklyn, I'm only going to give it to Floyd because I just thought uh, Connor got a little bit too much in the gutter. Yep. I, I was I wanted to give it to him with the mink when he came out, but then with some of the stuff he said, I was like, ah. And in London, definitely Connor McGregor. Wait, so, can I say something? Can I can I say something really fast? Just because I was there on Thursday, and Brian, I don't yep. know if anyone else has told you this, but the press were sitting on the floor, wow. and something about the sound system at Barclays that night. Like, we couldn't really hear you guys. And so none of the jokes or whatever, Mm. the zingers, were, like, landing. Like, we just couldn't hear. We just, like, couldn't make it out. I didn't know what Swiss Beats was saying. I didn't know what Dougie Fresh was saying. I couldn't really understand what you were saying. I couldn't understand what Connor and Floyd were saying. But the optics of the money was so big. And the code, and they were, like, walking down the runway like they were, you know, walking some Dior fashion show, some bizarre, weird fashion show. But 
that I don't know if anyone else has told you that, but I think that might have been part of the reason. And I don't know what it was like in the top rafters and stuff. It might have been part of the reason because like it just didn't seem like anything was landing in Brooklyn. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Anyway, I, I, I will I will give you that. And some people have told me that yeah. that uh, that was hard to hear. But yeah, I'm with you. I gave you the push. I thought it was two two. Um, and as far as Drake, let me tell you something. Yeah, let me hear about I, Drake. My my kids, uh, my boys, you know, don't watch me at all when I'm I'm working at all. But when they saw that Drake came out in Toronto, and then I text them the picture. Oh, oh. now I'm like the coolest cat. In Started the coolest from the bottom, now you're here. Ever. And, and let me tell you, I was leaving like a school girl. I was like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> Oh, my God. And he walked up and was like, yeah, he's a fight fan. We talked about now my son turned 13 last year, and his first concert was Drake. We took him to the Summer 16 tour in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio. So I showed him the video uh, that we took uh, of his concert, and he gave me a hug and was like, yo, this love. I was like, hey, can we take a picture? He said, yeah, let's take a picture. So we took a picture, and he was like, hey, I'll see you at the fight. I was like, oh, my God, Drake, I'll see you at the fight. (laughs) You sound like a (laughs) fanboy. Yeah, <laughs> he was mad cool. I loved it. I That's thought he awesome. was a really cool cat. Okay, so uh, we're talking with Brian Custer, Showtime Championship boxing host. You've given us a lot of good color behind the scenes stuff here, Brian. I'm going to ask you for a little more. One of the craziest oh. things that I saw, I just wasn't expecting this, right? I got a chance to meet Conor McGregor's personal chef. Ooh. His name okay. is George, and he yeah. was a former fighter himself. Chef George. Chef George. And. I asked him, please, can you open up the sort of cooler bag that he had? I want to see what Connor's eating. Yeah, what's he chomping on? Yeah. So he opens up the bag, and not only is there, like, this takeout stuff with, like, shrimp and all this, like, noodles and stuff like that that Nuts. he created. Mm-hmm. Huge thing of skull. Oh, yeah, dipping it up. <laughs> just huge thing of skull. That? And I was like, all right, that's one thing that I just wasn't expecting to see. Give me another behind-the-scenes unexpected. Obviously, you got to meet Drake. That's phenomenal. You know, there was the story out there that Mayweather's people had were basically trying, you know, his like bodyguards and stuff were going to try to engage Connor's guys yeah. Yeah. in yeah. a fight. They Connor's guys didn't know what to do, you know, and they, yeah. they didn't really get it. Give me a behind the scenes something that from this press, this four fight, four city uh, hype tour that you'll just never forget. Well, I, I will say this from, from the Connor aspect was right before we went into Brooklyn, you know, he, Every stop, I always ask, you know, Dana and Connor, those guys, or Floyd in his game. Hey, is there any way you you want you what you want me to say? And they were just like, and listen, I give it to them. They were great. They were just like, hey, look, I, I liked what you, what you did in L.A. I like what you did in Toronto. You kept it simple yet. You threw some. Keep you know, doing that. We're good with that. I was like, okay, great. So I go into Brooklyn. Same thing. Uh, walk into the dressing room, and Connor's people were there, and obviously they're late. And I'm like, hey, you know, I know we got to hurry up and get on there. Is any walk in and the whole place is filled with ace of spades champagne mm. and these cats are in there down in champagne <laughs> like i'm like okay celebrating uh, prematurely maybe yeah i know i was like okay i'll get back with you guys a little bit later uh <laughs> ran right back in there so that was number one uh number two you're right connor's people didn't know that floyd was going to do that thing in brooklyn where he was like yo boys you know don't take them out. And they walked up there. I thought it was interesting because I asked one of Floyd's bodyguards. I was like, yo, well, I mean, what was the deal with that? He was like, look, we was just going to scare them. I mean, we weren't going to put no hands on them. But he said, but once they kind of fucked up, you know, yeah, we started pushing them because like, yo, man, just chill. Uh, yeah, uh, so that that was another one where they, they thought they were going to scare them. And I, listen, I got to get I love Connor's response in London. 
when those guys were outside the ring and he called them juice heads. You were juice head. You're a juice head. Now look at you. You guys are out there. And, he, you know, he did the, the F you, F you, F you, and F you. I mean, that was pretty funny. So those are the kind of things behind the scenes I, I liked. I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty funny of those guys. Well, Brian, you can say you survived. Now I guess we advance. I don't know. I don't know if we can get yeah. any better. Now we have six weeks before the fight. So who knows what we're going to do leading up to that. I'm sure the guys will drop some sound bites for us as like uh, Hansel and Gretel's breadcrumbs. Brian Custer <laughs> from Showtime Championship Boxing. Profane. Hansel and Gretel, the profane version. Yes. The rated R version. Um, thank you so much, Brian. You did a fabulous Great job. Great job, man. You know what? Ooh. Who cares what those booing fans are saying? Yeah. They, they don't know anything. They don't know. Hey, look, Maggie, Adam, I appreciate it. And by the way, tickets go on sale July 24th, man. So hopefully some people can grab up the, the cheap tickets because I'm hearing the cheap tickets, the cheapest ticket may be uh, 500 bucks. Oof. Cheapest ticket, $500. Love it. Yeah. We want to know out yeah. there, are you spending 500 you dropping $500 on a potential uh, Vegas trip complete with Floyd Mayweather, uh, Conor McGregor exhibition or fight, however you want to say it. Brian Custer, love you, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank You're you, amazing. You thanks, for, thanks for the time, Adam. Hey, man, appreciate you, dude. Appreciate you. And and Adam trying to call Brian Custer out on his wardrobe choices. That's just wrong. And my suit game is real weak right now. Yeah, what happens who are when you? you? Work, when you work at Bleacher Report, you're wearing, like, <laughs> T-shirts and Henleys. I ain't got suits at all okay, right now. Okay, well, you're not spending money on suits, but we are going to find out the purchase that Transition. Adam Lesko has regretted the most in his life, in, your, al- in your life. I also have a story in which I was booed by 60,000 people, so I could tell that up next, too. <laughs> it's all coming up. It's the Moose and Maggie. Show Adam Lefko in for Moose right here on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. We are coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studio. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Great getting some behind the scenes look from Brian Custer, who joins us. He's always great. To be on that tour, the Mayweather-McGregor tour, for four cities, to, to do the whole thing, yeah. that takes some kind of stamina. That's like finishing a marathon. They should give you, like, uh, like one of those foil capes <laughs> at the end. And, and like you know this, Gatorade. like, in our profession, you want to be around moments. Yeah. And in 20, 30, 40 years to say, I was there during the craziness, and I was not only there, I was up there getting booed by all those people. That's really, that's a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, I guess, you know, you'd rather be infamous than fit than nothing. Hell yeah. You know, but I want I people think... to know my name and boo the crap out of me. That's I'm down we, for that. That's what we say about when people get critical, because obviously we put ourselves out here. We're talking to microphones. We get the we get the backlash sometimes. But I always say, as long as you spell my name right, you are talking about me. So exactly. I guess that's a good thing. Although, Adam, you've had this sort of backfire on you. Adam Lefko in for Moose, by the way. Hey, hey, hey. Um, Miss you've you, had Moose. This, you've had this backfire on you where you got booed by an entire college football stadium. So it's it wasn't necessarily me, but it felt like me. And I said 60,000 before the break. It was 84,000. It was a uh, sellout. I used to work in Nebraska, and I was at a Nebraska football game back when Indomitian Sioux played for the Huskers. And there was one game where they were playing Texas Tech. Halftime, Nebraska's down 21 points to an unranked Texas Tech team. It's a shocker. And part of the blame was put on the refs. So what happens is when you cover college football, typically you stay outside the lines. Blaming the refs? That's crazy. I've never heard of that before. It's weird for Nebraska, though, because they're usually very civil. Well, I decided with my photographer, instead of going the long way around the the field, let's just cut right across – uh, right across the middle of the field. Like the 50-yard line? Exactly. You know what? I'd like to walk on Nebraska's field before I leave here. I want to see what it's like. And you know what? We deserve it. I'm, I'm excited for that halftime hot dog that the media gets. Super pumped. 
as I step foot on the logo, the refs are walking into the tunnel. And that's when all 84,000 people decide to rain down booze. And at that time, I'm standing on the end, feeling the force of 84,000 people just getting so angry. And I, I, my knees got a little weak and my arms started to tremble. And I looked at the photographer and I was like, I don't know what to do. I was so scared. Yeah. But Brian Curtis, uh, Brian, he was legitimately getting booed. I was getting the, uh, the runoff. Yeah. I mean, you weren't getting booed. You were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, Brian was. But at first I didn't know that. I didn't know it was for the refs. I thought they were like, he's stepping on the end. I thought it was for me. And I was like, I'm, I don't mean to do this to yeah. the end. I'm so sorry. Oh, it felt bad. You're like apologizing to no one. Just like, I'm sorry, looking hey. around. Who am I? I've actually done an interview on that field, which was really cool. A sit-down interview, empty stadium. was like on a yeah. Tuesday. Taylor Martinez? Yes, of course. Was the quarterback. He was the original Johnny Manziel. He was the original <laughs> well, RG3. No, no, I mean in terms Not of like the, the mobile athlete Oh, yeah. He was like a Mariota type, though, because yes. he was so likable. Everyone absolutely oh. loved him. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the brakes that are an exact fit for your vehicle. Brands you trust, like Brake Best and Wagner Thermo Quiet. O'Reilly Auto Parts has the brake parts you need at guaranteed low prices. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. It's your girl Maggie here from the Moose and Maggie Show. Adam Lefko's in for Moose. And Moose. We have a series of questions that the Moose and Maggie family, I'm asking them on behalf of the Moose and Maggie family. You're so kind. To get to know Adam Lefko. The first question was about TV shows. He said he'd take Seinfeld to a deserted island. The second one is the purchase you've regretted the most in your life. Yeah. And that is what, sir? You can call me Andre Roberson. Bottles. Okay. $500? Worse. Oh, no. I was in L.A. I was there with my friends. I had spent three or four days. It was a younger Adam. It was an ignorant Adam. It was a fun Adam. We go to That uh, Adam is dead now. That Adam is dead. I've buried him, and he's never coming back. He'll (laughs) probably come back if I've had too much to drink. You threw him in the ocean. Uh, There's a club in L.A. called Bootsy Bellows or something like that, and we couldn't get in, and it's getting towards the end of the night. And I had had some drinks in me. And, guys, the only way you're going to get in the club, they said, you got to buy a bottle, which is absolute nonsense. They know that I don't need to buy a bottle to get in. I'm still going to pay for things. But sometimes poor saps fall for it. And that night, Maggie, I was a poor sap. You were the rube, huh? I went in there. They didn't even have a table for me. Why? Because all the tables were sold out. I had to sit at the bar with my bottle and a bucket of ice drinking tequila. I paid $700 for the bottle. I listened to you and Moose last week talk about not tipping on a bottle, and I thought, these are two people that have never spent money on bottle service before. Why? What did you tip? Because there is no tip that you want to pay less (laughs) than a bottle service tip. I know how much that bottle of tequila costs in the liquor store. It's $32, and you're charging me $700. I know. I'm pouring my own drink. I'm scooping my own ice. I need to ask for a refill of soda. I don't need this orange shoes i don't need this pineapple i tipped well because i have to because i'm too afraid of of upsetting the guy behind the counter and i've worked in bars for all of my life but i just that was when you're paying that much money for liquid 
easily the worst purchase I've ever done. I regretted it. Regretted it? Yeah. I regret it so much that I have to add syllables onto regret. Yeah. That's how upset I was. Okay, so what? first of all, what did you tip? Because if you oh. listened to the show last week, you know, Rocco DeSpirito came on. There was a lot of tequila. I and he said, he said between 5 and 10%. So for Andre Roberson, 50 bucks, right? Did you tip him $70? I think I may. I think I did. I really think I did. I'm really good at doing the 20% tip. It's something that's ingrained into my well, brain. if you can't do that, I mean, then you know you're really oh, got to go home. I have met people that can't do math. I'm just, no. I Move tipped. the decimal point, everyone, and then double it. I remember after I tipped, I remember wanting to ask for a to-go bag. Like, I was <laughs> like, can I take the rest of this to go? I'm an idiot. Did you not finish the bottle with you and your friends? No, you must have. Uh, but the problem is, is that you begin to pour too much into your own cup. Because I'm going to make this worth it. Yeah. And then... Next thing, you'll learn this about me. I'm on the dance floor, and I, you know, I'm spilling Am it Am I going to learn this about you, or is this the We're next hour? We're learning right now at 8.42 on a Saturday morning. It was a stressful night. You know what's really bad? Stressful? I, it sounds like it was blackout. But the problem is, is that when you pay that much money for my parents are listening right now. Too. Do you know the text that I'm going to get from my mom? Adam, are you kidding me? Yeah, they, they learn something about me every time I go on the radio. <laughs> But it it's was like drinking uh, the truth serum, that tequila. What was it? A bottle of Jose Cuervo? No. It was better than that. Yeah. I think it was Patron. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. aw. <laughs> oh, well, we don't oh. feel bad for you, but that was regrettable. Oh, so stupid. It's so stupid. Man, mine is just like a pair of shoes. I don't even have a story. Yeah, at least you can keep wearing them. I did. That's the and problem with spending money on booze <laughs> is I can't be like, you know what? It's a Tuesday night. Let me whip out that old bottle of Patron. No, it's gone. And it was not worth it. Okay, I'm not liking your question. This is like PTSD. It's like bringing up some bad flashback for you of that night in L.A. Bottle disorder. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty bad. I don't think you're alone out there, Adam. Uh, Meanwhile, just trying to be cool didn't work out. Didn't work out. That's funny. Yeah, about about trying to be cool because I was listening to your podcast. And you were interviewing Justin Pugh, yeah, who is yeah. offensive lineman for the New York Giants. He's my guy. He's a nice guy, Syracuse guy, as yep. you are. And uh, it, he was the only person who, when he came to SI, uh, when he was a rookie, and the, on the same day, we happened to have Heinz Warden, mm. who was promoting, like, chocolate milk because he was running a tri. He was doing the triathlon sure. or whatever. You have Heinz Ward and Justin Pugh. And Heinz looks at him and goes, man, you're a rookie offensive lineman, and you're here promoting... Right. Norelco or whatever, some shave right. thing. He goes, what are you, Superman? <laughs> and he goes, Seriously. no, I just have a friend whose mom works in PR or whatever for Norelco, and he ended up getting hooked up with it. But he said he has to use Google yes. to get into a club because an offensive lineman, even for the New York Giants, you're not going to know their face. I asked him, because I, I have, I've known him for my whole life, and I know that he'll roll with Odell Beckham Jr. And I wanted to ask how famous Odell was. And the stories that I've heard of Odell is he even shows his face and the crowd parts like the Red Sea and the club promoter goes, get in here immediately because the value for a one oak or for a bounce to have Odell there for the next two months, people want to show up because maybe Odell's going to show up again. (laughs) And when Pew sees Odell, he goes, hey, man, what's up? And people go, what are you, a bodyguard? He has to go 
He has to Google himself and then show the picture of himself and go, no, I'm on the Giants. But he's told me before that if Odell walks by and puts his hand on his shoulder, it's as though that that fame transfers into his body. It's like that old Bruce Willis movie where the – or Samuel – or no, Denzel Washington. What was that movie? Who are you movie? going with here? Denzel Washington where he touches people and the devil transfers bodies. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't remember the name of the movie. I love Denzel. But Hit I us know. up on Twitter at Moose and Maggie. <laughs> I forget what it is. Save that. Adam's story. But Odell touches Pew, yeah. and then they go, He's anointed. please come in. Yeah. yeah, he has to transfer the fame power. Okay, so let's put it out there to the Moose and Maggie family, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Hit us up on Twitter. Having to Google and show yourself to a bouncer. All about it. <laughs> would, you, would you do it? I would or ask that... Jeeves myself, who is Adam Lefko? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> is that lowering yourself to a bar that is just... You know, if they don't know you. Well, it's either stand there and with your hands behind your back angrily going, yo, yo, yo. Yeah. Or you got to make moves. Yeah, or you got to round moves. up people on the street and go, look at all the money I'm going to bring you. <laughs> or you got to buy a bottle of $700 Jose Cuervo oh, like Adam Lefko did. Okay, man. let's talk some more NFL um, while we're here. So a couple different things that have come out this week. One of them is Richard Sherman. And, you know, when all this funny money in the NBA gets thrown around and tossed around, well, the NFL players, understandably, get a little jealous. And I understand why they do, because you look at the bottom line for the NFL, billions upon billions of dollars that they're bringing in every single year. It's undoubtedly the biggest sport in America. They've got everyone from eight years old to 80 years old. There's not a person who is within the reach of my voice who the NFL does not touch. Yet, because of the roster size, because of how brutal the sport is, because of so many factors. Collective bargaining agreement. That's one of them as well. And just really not a strong enough players union is what I think you mean by that, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have the NBA and basically in baseball, who has a very strong players union, able to really you know, use their leverage in a way that NFL teams, unfortunately, cannot because there's such a divide and disparity between who makes the most and who makes the least that if guys start missing game checks, well, some guy's a third stringer or practice squad guy, that means he can't buy groceries, you know, so to speak. Or you have other guys who have made a ton of guaranteed money. Richard Sherman thinks that the NFL players should consider striking. Adam, do you think that would ever actually happen and do you think that the NFL players have enough resolve mm. to actually go on strike? And First, start I want to give my game? shout out to my man behind the me- the glass. Fallen was the movie with Denzel Washington. Oh, Duff, way to go! Bob. Yeah, uh, I-, I think we we I said this two years ago that I really hope the NFLPA has been saving up funds to support those lower level guys that you were talking about. That's the reason that if you asked me, is it possible? I would say that the owners could wait out the players just because of the 53 guys, there is such a disparity between the Russell Wilsons on a team and then the fourth cornerback on the roster. They cannot afford Russell, wherever he is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Russell so, Wilson's fine. Wilson Russell, who's probably the backup. Did I say Wilson Russell? No, no, no. I'm saying oh, it. Yeah. Russell exactly. Wilson's fine. Wilson Russell, who's the who knows who on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, nobody knows. He's in trouble. And they can't wait too long. Now, the key for me is when do you start the strike? A lot of times we started, it seems like, at the new year, which is in, like, March. The problem is, is then you're missing out on the training camp checks and all those off-season bonuses and all that. But if they were able to do it right before the season, 
Game checks is when the owners are really going to face it. That's what we haven't seen. We have never seen, at least in, in the recent history, 10, 20 years, the NFL players go, we're not playing week one. We've seen it work with certain players. What happened in the 80s? Exactly. It's when been a long time. the scabs came in, yeah. Larry Johnson was the last running back that I remember that really came out there. We saw it with the referees, too. It worked for the referees. They missed two games. There was that awful call with the, the Green Bay Mary. Seattle, and all of a sudden there was change enacted. I believe there's a few players right now that could start to set groundwork for a possible strike. Le'Veon Bell this season, he has the franchise tag. Yeah. Players need to show that they're not going to play under the franchise tag. The problem is, is the life expectancy of a player is two and a half years. And if you keep waiting, as we see with all these guys when they turn 30, huh, we're not going to sign you anymore. Yeah. So Le'Veon Bell's a guy. Odell Beckham is being paid 1.8 next year. He's getting $25 million from Nike, but 1.8 to play the sport. He's the most famous player in the league, and he's getting paid less than $2 million. I had someone say, oh, you know, like Nick Young, he's only making $5 million this year. Alfred Morris hasn't made $5 million in his entire career. Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, Jadavian Clowney. Those are the other three guys. The only problem is, what was the problem with all the five guys I named? They're on rookie contracts. And there's no quarterbacks. You need a quarterback, a Kirk Cousins, a Carson Wentz. Well, Kirk Cousins on the franchise tag, too. But he needs to not play. And you need to show that those things aren't ironclad. See, okay, I understand what you're saying, but I don't actually think the franchise tag is the problem because I think if you pulled the players and you said, we will give you shorter contracts a year or two, that's it, but it's fully guaranteed, like a franchise tag mm. for Kirk Cousins is guaranteed. There's a lot of that that is. I think they jump on it because I don't think that NFL players, you mentioned how short the, the career normally yeah. is for an NFL player, I think they'd rather have the guarantees than the quote-unquote, you know, sort of safety of having a, a longer-term contract. Would, why would the owner? Well, no. The reason the owners are okay with it is because the longer unguaranteed contracts is, in essence, insurance policies for the owner. Sure. Oh, you get you get injured in the first year? Well, if we cut you, it's nothing on our books. The, the shorter guarantees, they've never had to guarantee. How about this? Because of the movement of a few NFL franchise, every franchise in the NFL is getting an extra $55 million. Yeah, because you have to pay the NFL if you want to leave a city like St. Louis Where's Rams Where's that did. going? Right into their pockets. How about all these franchises that have fights with their cities yeah. about improving stadiums? There should be a stadium improvement fund. But the owners won't even do that. It's the most selfish owners that have all of the benefit on their side, and they've never had to budge. The reason I say they need to that these guys need to sit out, they need to start putting dents into certain things that work in the owner's favor for the bargaining table later. Okay. Okay, so here's something. We talked to Jay Feely last week, and so he was part of the NFL Players Union Executive Board for 14 years. Sure. And he went through collective bargaining agreements, and what he said was eye-opening. He said that they started three years before they went to the bargaining table with the NFL. Three years before, they stopped collecting ro uh, royalty. No, no, no. They stopped collecting dues mm. from players. Don't have to pay your union dues. Yes. They took their royalties and licensing uh, agreements and put it into a fund. Mm. Basically anticipating what you're talking about, which yeah. is when guys start missing checks, now we can start paying them. They like said, unemployment. They said, exactly. They said they were able to give them $5,000 a month. He said it got to May, May, before they were even missing game checks. Game checks guys were calling begging for money. 
Now, listen, I don't know how many people he's talking about. Is he talking about five people? He's talking about 50? He's talking about 500? Who knows? But he said it didn't even get to the fall where guys were begging for money. They just didn't have any. That means resolve. Yeah. And even if we try to guard against it, it's almost impossible. I'm pro-labor as much as you are, too. I think that, I mean, the billionaires are getting more billions and it should be on the backs, and it should be given to the players. They're the ones who make the league. Yeah. But to have that kind of resolve when you have people with so many varied interests, right? Drew Brees has very different interests than the third guy on the practice Absolutely. squad. And I think it's honestly dangerous a little bit for the sport, too, because if you don't have a contract guaranteed, I think you're more willing to play through a concussion, things one, like one that. One quick point, because yeah, I know we, we got to toss. Go. The other problem is, is while they're the ones trying to fight to improve their labor, they're also being made to look like the villains because fans are going to miss their football. And who are you going to blame? The person that is striking. And so they have no support, no money, and nowhere to go. And I hope they've been saving for 10 years, not three since the last CBA. We are going to have our third question for Adam Lefko is going to be coming up next. We're getting to know Adam Lefko. What would you say? I'm a Taurus. So are Moose and I. Eh. That's why hey. we get along so well. It's the Moose and Maggie Show. Adam Lefko in for Moose, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Yes, hopefully Moose on the beach somewhere, hanging out with his family. He's on vacation. Maggie's in with you, though. Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report is here. We've Wake reached the up. final hour of the show. I can't believe it. It flies by. It always does. We've been asking questions. We're getting to know Adam as part of our Moose and Maggie family, although yeah, you coming didn't give up, me this question ahead of time. I'm a little nervous about this. This one, one is going to be a doozy. Coming up, uh, just about 15 minutes from now, Katie Linendahl. She's a Emmy award-winning tech expert. You good at tech? Uh, Can you no. program a, co- a remote control? <laughs> yes, the remote control, I'm all over. It. I'm an 80s child, so all I'm right, all good. over that. <laughs> I can do the remote. I don't know. Once, like, the controller in terms of video games and stuff got, like, above Super Nintendo, I kind of, yeah. like, petered out a little bit, but... I'm not super into tech, but that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of questions about tech. Oh, yeah, she's going to help us out. I think that uh, some the future of the sports industry, if you have questions about fitness tech and sports and, and VR, travel, yeah. anything, you can tweet us at Maggie Gray, at Adam Lefko, at Moose and Maggie, three ways to do that. Um, let's talk a little hoops, though, before Kay. Katie gets here. I like and, the baskets and the balls. Yeah, right. And speaking of the balls, the third question that I was going to ask you, that I'm going to ask you now, is finish this sentence. Ask me about my favorite family. LeVar um, Ball is? Finish that sentence. Wonderful. He's wonderful. I think that we have a hard time in this country accepting people that are loud and speak up. And I, I think I understand why people get upset. When it first started, I was like, this guy is obnoxious and he's crazy. But if you genuinely believe what you say and you stand up for what you want, and I look at an industry like the shoe industry, right. which he's trying to disrupt, that I've heard from everyone, from Kanye to whatever, it's impossible to break because all the big guys keep you down, and he's trying to come up and make his own business. I don't understand why people get upset with that. He says his son is amazing. I don't see what's crazy about that. Now, taking shots at my Joel, my beloved Joel Embiid, I, I, they're I going back and forth. They both love I got a problem with that. They both love but it. But 
It's a showman. He's he's. It's a Barnum and Bailey act. I love it. I love people that are interesting. He's already making the Lakers interesting next year, and I think that their roster absolutely stinks. And what I love even more, the Lakers roster stinks. Oh yeah, they're Alonso's been great in summer league. That's what I mean. Brandon other, Ingram. Other, I mean, you have those two pieces, but they're not ready for anything. Okay. But what I love is this: he's taken all the pressure off of his son. Lonzo, you know what people say now? Same thing they were saying about Aaron Judge. Oh, he's so humble. Oh, he's so calm. Yeah, because what is he being compared to? His dad is taking all of the stress, all of the critiques off of him. When Lonzo has a bad game, what's the first thing people said? Oh, man, his dad's putting too much pressure on him. They can't even say Lonzo had a bad game. They got to blame it on LeVar. He is the ultimate bulletproof vest for his son, and I love LeVar Ball. He's wonderful. That's not my read on LeVar. I know. Well, no, no, the the disrupting of the industry, I totally get. Yeah. And I think that eventually it may not work this time with big baller brand, but eventually it will work for somebody. And mm. we're going to look back and say, wow, it was LeVar who really chopped down a lot of sure. that, you know, detritus to get us out of the way to get to where we are today. The thing is, is that when Lonzo has a bad game, the first person to criticize him is LeVar. Which is amazing. I don't know. It's good parenting. You know, I don't know about that because here's what happens, right? Lonzo goes out and has a terrible game in Summer League. The next game, he comes out not wearing the big bowler brand shoes. Now, I play a little armchair psychiatrist here. I think there's two parts of that. One, it's the actual physical shoe that might not be that great. It might not be that comfortable despite its big price tag of the $495. And then there's a symbolism there. You come out and criticize me. Well, I'm the one who just got taken number two overall. I'm the one who's following up on all your big brags. Now you're going to come at me after I have one bad summer league game. How about I'm not wearing our shoes for the next one? And how about I'm not wearing our shoes for the Harden game for the next game when he's wearing Harden? I like like Lonzo for the fact that he's going to get so much criticism in his life. The fact that it's going to come from Pops. I think the if I was going to say LeVar Ball is on a question mark, I'm I'm thinking in the rear view. And I think that's something that we saw once he got uh, drafted to the Lakers. We thought he's going to take a step back. Magic's going to come in. I know they got the pop-up store or whatever in Vegas, and they're selling stuff. But I honestly think that LeVar is going to start to retreat a little to the rear view. And I think that Lonzo is smart to try to establish himself as his own person. I mean, wearing the wearing the Kobe's and wearing the Hardens symbolically, that is big. You don't have guys who have their own signature shoe who don't wear it. You're looking at checkers and he wants you to look at chess. He went Nike and then he went Adidas. He will bring back the big baller brands. And you know why? Because the next time he wears them, I'm going to get a team stream alert on my Bleacher Report app that says, Lonzo Ball back in the big baller brand, this time in a red and yellow colorway. Do you think that translates to people actually buying the shoes? I think that we have an entire stream on our app on shoes. Yeah. And it's about the look of the shoe. And I also think what I like is everyone said, oh, he should have done Starberry prices. Remember, he came out and it was like $15 shoes. No, he- no, no. I, I actually said made the shoes more expensive. Yeah, exactly. Make him a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's yeah. so much harder. No, I to said get. the opposite. That I think that he has made him. He's he's taken all the pressure off of his son. I think it's all good marketing. And I think anyone that thought he was going to go away, the fact that he was able to critique his son, if he was a blind helicopter parent that said my son's amazing, even when he's scoreless and goes over eleven from three, I would have said he's fading away. But the fact that he goes out there after a triple double and goes doesn't matter. They didn't win. 
Oh, guess what? The number one request by the media after Lakers games this season is not Ingram. It is not Luke Walton. It is not Lonzo Ball. It is LeVar Ball. He will have a media scrum around him at all times. He will become the voice of the L.A. Lakers. The voice of the Lakers. That's crazy. But you better learn to accept it. Realize it's an act. Don't get upset because it's theater. But just like we're going to sit here and spend an hour and a half on McGregor and Mayweather, LeVar Ball's the same thing. And he's going to say some dumb stuff as well. They are cut from the same cloth. No doubt about that. that So so you're saying what the the long game is, is that you have Lonzo wearing Nike, then wearing Adidas, and you think that somehow now Nike and Adidas are going to go back to LeVar and say, hey, we told you before, no, now we do want to be partners? No. I think that he's still trying to sell his own, but maybe what happens what if, if he only wears the the the, the ZO2s, yeah. the big baller brands, when they're ready to release a new one? Now he needs to start playing better in them. Yeah, that's I completely the thing. agree. What if he goes out and wears big baller because and I'm totally craps seeing, the bed? I'm already seeing graphics. He did in the first two games. No, he had I like sixty points in back, the future. Yeah. Sure, he. I already see a graphic. Points scored in ZO2s. Points scored in Adidas. Points scored in Nike. And right now those brands are going. Perfect. Performance space. This is yeah. great. He needs to perform well. He also didn't perform well in his first two games. Maybe he's just getting comfortable. That's possible. But it if, is. what if he drops 50 in it? And what if he only wears well, it against really crappy teams and then shows them up? <laughs> well, here's the thing, though, Adam. It was always tied to Lonzo. Always. It, it was always tied to him. If Lonzo ended up becoming the Michael Ola candy of whatever, if he yeah. ends up becoming a bust, if he's Kwame Brown, then no, the shoes are never going to work out. Yeah. Because there, this was based on being a winner. Yes. And that's what LeVar is trying to sell, right? Not individual points, but being a winner and doing Do it in a life. Do you think he lets the middle child, LaMelo, wear them? Because he's the only one that's, like, not a big guy. Leangelo, Alonzo, yeah. put on the ZO2s. LaMelo, I got some Skechers yeah. in the back. <laughs> I got you. Joe Montana left some Skechers back some here vans? for you. I got you some uh, Sauconies that you can run around Sauconies. in. Use Sauconi. Sauconies, the Subaru of shoes. <laughs> it gets a lot of people around. They're the New Balance. Um... Yeah, I think they're all, well. They're all wearing it. I just wish it was only the shoe. When he wore like the piano key necktie of the oh, big baller yeah. brand on Kimmel, that was pretty bad. You know, I think that he puts. Okay, so here's the other thing about Lavar. Take a step back, right? You and I interview a lot of athletes. Yes. We interview a lot of people in the sports yes. world. There was not one, and still hasn't been, one athlete has come out and says that Lavar's doing it right. Very few. A lot of them have said, and these are the ones who got there, right? These are the ones who know the sacrifice. Yeah. Even if they say they might buy the shoes, none of them have said that LeVar is necessarily good for Alonzo. I understand you know he takes some of the out? bullets. A lot of former players, a lot of executives. There was a big thing in, in hip-hop that happened a few weeks ago. Jay-Z released his album. Yeah. I didn't four, think four, when, four. when I first listened to it, I went, this doesn't seem that revolutionary to me. He came out talking about credit. He came out talking about owning your own company, not signing to a label, creating wealth that you could pass down. I bought a picture for $1 million. I turned it to $2 million. I made it $8 million. When I first heard it, I went, yeah, who doesn't know this stuff? And then I realized that there are cultures of our society that are being raised by Jay-Z. There is a New York City assemblyman that is holding a speaking engagement in the upcoming weeks to talk about 444 and black wealth. I didn't realize that people didn't know these things. Jay-Z has the line about Jewish people have been doing this with credit for a long time. As a Jewish person, I've been instilled with this since the day I was born. I didn't realize it wasn't a thing. 
All the former players that have been signed to shoe companies that have not made as much money, the music industry is the same way. Right. You get such a small cut even though you're the creator. They're going, he gets it. So he's fighting from ground zero, and you'd never have as much negotiation pull as you do before the NBA draft. Because you still you're own, anything at you're that anything. point. Your potential is limitless. He's doing a business play. Just like we talked about with the flag football, you are a disruptor. You're going to get doubters. You're going to get haters. People are going to say you're never going to make it. I applaud him for going for it. He's a little loud, but you've got to be loud if you want change. This is going to be very interesting when you saw LeBron James sitting there with Lynn Merritt, if you didn't mm. know who that is, who basically runs the Nike yep. NBA division. Yep. If LeBron does decide to leave Cleveland and go to the Lakers oh, and he brings Nike with him, oh, no way Alonzo's wearing those oh. big ballers. LeBron's getting that out of there. It's I can't imagine. The reason that LeVar is going to be fine this first year is there's no other stars in the team that's going to be big enough he's to go a vacuum. shut up. Yeah. Yes, he, it's he's it. If LeBron, if Russell it's Westbrook, or Paul George, you say it's over. But what happens if this is all a ruse? What happens if LeVar goes back and shakes LeBron's head and goes, listen, you're going to look more of a shining star. No one's going to be able to hate on you, LeBron, because I'm the hater. Oh, come on. LeBron's, Skip Bayless is coming for LeBron's me. in a totally different stratosphere than LeVar. Than Le- I mean, LeBron is is, uh, is on a totally different planet than LeVar. LeVar's Q rating right now is super big. <laughs> I don't know. LeBron's the most famous basketball player oh, yeah. on the planet, maybe ever. Okay, let's do it before Katie Linendahl comes in studio to hang with us. Let's get to a little wake-up call. Okay, Adam, why don't I start it off? Please do. Okay, and my wake-up call this week goes out to three three people. Nice. Two people, one entity. USADA, Gil Roberts, the sprinter, and the Olympic arbiter, arbitrator who cleared Gil Roberts of all misdoing, even though he was suspended for testing positive for a banned substance. Let's start with USADA, okay? If you are familiar with this story, Gil Roberts is the guy who tested positive, and his excuse was that he was passionately kissing his girlfriend who was taking a sinus infection medicine that is on the banned substance list. Hashtag passionately kissing. Passionately kissing. So first the wake-up call goes out to USADA. If somebody (laughs) can actually test positive and have a trigger positive for something that this is this trace amount, I think you need to go back and rework your entire policy. To Gil Roberts, who somehow came up with this unbelievable excuse. If you are passionately kissing somebody with a sinus infection, (laughs) that is absolutely nasty. And if you are a professional athlete, your body is your job. It's a temple. You can't be making out with somebody who's got a sinus infection. I mean, what is this? Are you a stunt double for the notebook? You cannot (laughs) have this happen. And for the Olympic arbitrator who cleared him on all charges, sir, I just have to wonder, what are you thinking? I got some beachfront property for you in Idaho. I would love to sell it. So USADA, Gil Roberts, and the Olympic arbitrator, all three y'all, wake up. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right. I'm going after other radio people. So bear with me here. WEEI's Kirk and Callahan up in Boston. You've seen the headlines. Brandon Marshall walks out on interview. Brandon Marshall refuses to talk about race. Here's the deal. Marshall was in a celebrity golf tournament up in the Boston area doing an interview with these guys. After a few questions, they asked for his opinion on Tom Brady. In the question, they brought up a two-year-old quote from Brandon during Deflategate. Brandon apparently said during that time that players in the league believe that white guys were treated differently than black 
black guys, and that includes how they were suspended. Brandon responded to their question about Brady and said, forget the race card. I love Brady. He complimented him, his achievements, the Patriots coaching staff, and he ended it with, Brady is my man crush. They said, well, do you still believe that black guys get treated differently than white guys in the NFL? Brandon said, look, I don't want to talk about this right now. They asked another follow-up. He said, listen, I'll say this. Black guys in America get treated differently. That's in the locker room, too. They followed up again. He said, look, I know you guys are headline hunting, and right now you want Brandon Marshall, quote, players get treated differently whether they're white or black. So you know what they transitioned to? A domestic violence charge from nine years ago and his previous mental health problems. He got up and he left. You have the only current NFL player that is also a major TV analyst on your show, possibly the top interviewee in all of sports, and you bring up an out-of-context two-year-old race comment and a nine-year-old DV case that he has spoken at length about and has been a league-leading advocate to try and make change. You're not 60 Minutes. This isn't the Comey testimony. This is a random interview in a golf hut during a scramble with three men wearing polos. It is the cushiest of cushiest interviews, but the big bad radio host had something to prove. They had to get Brandon Marshall. Is that the best use of your time? And more importantly, is that the best use of your listeners' time? He was already willing to say that he had to escape the Jets, and he even said that he cost Matt Forte a Super Bowl ring. He's willing to be candid. You could talk about, I don't know, his new teammate Odell Beckham. I'm sure he's got Josh McDaniel's stories when it blew up in Denver. Is Jay Cutler going to be good in the booth? He could have talked about Tom Brady legacy like we haven't heard that before all better than fishing through a man's garbage this is a man that could have entertained your listeners and given them insight but instead you found bruises and you put pressure on them remember marshall said black guys in america are treated differently clearly that's my wake-up call Strong take there, Adam. And I did see that. And as someone who interviews people for a living, it's very interesting because we wrestle with these kinds of things of a lot, right? How much to go into somebody's past and to bring things up. Am I getting the rap music? I'm getting the rap music. On my own show, I'm getting the yeah. rap music. I went a little long. Well, you guys are going to miss out on a lot of insight that I just had to share. We can talk about it in the we next segment. We can talk about it in the next segment. No, Katie Lindendahl is going to come up in the she's next segment. She's got stuff to say <laughs> on it, too. She's media savvy. She knows about it. But I will tell you, there are conversations that happen about how far to go back into someone's yes. past and when to bring it up with context. We are going to take a break. Katie Lindendahl is going to join us in studio next. It's the Moose and Maggie Show right here on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. We are coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studio. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Now, Adam Left goes in for Moose today, who's yeah, on yeah. vacation. I can't tell you, Adam, how rare it is that anyone on their own free will would decide to get up this early to come to the Moose and Maggie show hey. live when they could just call in from their pajamas. But Katie Linendahl is that kind of woman. She goes the extra mile. And Katie joins us now. She's an Emmy Award-winning tech expert. We have so many questions for you, but the first one is, good morning. How are you? Why yeah. did you want to come here on this Saturday? You look like you're ready to go out. I can join you at any time. Oh, you we got to turn your two, mic. Go ahead. Two, three, four in the morning. I would join you guys at any time. <laughs> Katie, we like I'm that. happy to be here. Yeah, we, we like that tweet. kind of commitment. We got a tweet from Darren Davies that said, should be a good show. And with Katie Linendahl, anything can happen. <gasps> so apparently your reputation the bar has been set. You, you right. forgot the best part of that tweet. 
the winky emoji. I don't say emojis Ooh. out loud. <laughs> you yeah. don't? I, I don't know if that's a tech thing, but I don't read out. <laughs> you don't heart, really come across as an emoji guy? Yeah, heart eye emoji, winky emoji. No, I, don't, I can't do all that. But if you could pick an emoji to represent yourself, which one would it be? I am hands to the sky, the praise. Oh, that yeah. all hail. Yeah. Or, or crying tear emoji for laughter. Those are my top. That's I'm 100% poop emoji. Really? <laughs> yes. You know what I want? We, we don't know each other that well, but yeah. <laughs> Give me another four hours with you. You'll understand and exactly what I'm talking emoji. about. One of my yeah. best friends thought the poop emoji was ice cream for the longest time, oh. and she would always send it. I'm Chocolate like, dude, are you or... like, what are you on, bath salts? Like, it's it's poop, clearly. Wait, it's so like what the... would your emoji be? I'd be the, the nerd with the glasses with the buck teeth. Oh, uh, I know going all you, for it. you yeah. are a nerd. You don't look like a nerd, if that means anything or if that's <laughs> any consolation. Um, OK, so I was just hosting a really interesting panel on virtual reality yes. um, at Sports Illustrated and at Time Inc. And one of the things about sports is I think a lot of people are wondering, like, first of all, the leagues want to monetize this in any way they can. Absolutely. One of the things is a place where there's not a lot of real estate, say, courtside of a basketball game sure. where if you want to as the Lakers sit courtside next to Jack Nicholson at some point push a button to buy Jack a beer and then he looks Ooh. at you and says thanks for the beer Katie how close are we to something like this happening and becoming a reality it's happening now and I think augmented reality and virtual reality it's what been one of the most exciting things in technology to speak about and I spent my entire life working in tech and these waves of things happen you know where it's 3d TVs or sure. Google Glass what's the next big thing and I think for the first time that I too when I first experienced VR many years ago and it's it you can talk about it all you want but to actually immerse yourself in the content and then I'll speak to where it's going in sports. It's incredible. Mm. And recently I was at the Cavs at the finals. And what they're doing in arena in one of the oldest state, stadium arenas in you know the country, but still using high tech with VR and AR, you can actually be courtside and see that experience, just like you said. And seeing this across the country and how it's being used in so many sports and putting fans in that front row perspective or in the driver's seat and really giving them this when I experienced it, I, I felt like I forgot that there was a whole camera crew around me filming a segment. Like I was on a Navy ship training and I was getting motion sick because it was so intense. Wow. Like the immersion, If there's different levels of VR, but when you really get in depth, it takes you to another place. And do I think that, you know, 1% of people are actually at said big game. What about the rest of the audience that wants to be there and experience it in even more intense than just turning on a TV? It's happening right now. And the league can sell it. My other experience with uh, VR is from the show Silicon Valley, where it's very <laughs> expensive to get into the hands of normal people. That's my question, is mm. how soon before it's affordable to where I can sit at home and do it, and it's not a whole production, and the technology is super expensive? Really good question. So I think a lot of people don't understand that there's different, like, spectrums okay. of it. So you could literally walk into a Walmart or a Target and buy a VR headset for 50, 60 bucks. Right. And a lot of those, you have to put your smartphone in. And they work really good. And actually, I was using with my niece and my nephew, who are you know, just under 10, last week. And they were, they were, they were blown away sure. by being in a planetarium or diving underwater with whales. And those are kind of the lower end spectrum. Now, if you talk about things like the Oculus Rift yes. and a little bit higher end, that you need a little bit more wires, you need a little bit more uh, technology behind it and hardware... That can be up to five, four, five hundred dollars. They just have been running sales for about three ninety nine, which is the lowest I've seen it. But there are a lot of news outlets are actually putting out their uh, stories now with like Google Cardboard, which is only ten bucks. Yeah. Right. So you can get a cardboard VR headset. Is that like the highest kind of VR right. you can have? No, but it is really cool to know that anyone can really experience it. And it's not until 
you do experience it, as I was saying. People hear AR and VR and they're like, oh, gloss over. The sad part about it is going into stores and seeing them sitting on the shelves, I'm like, dang it, this is going to become the next 3D TV if there's not a person there Mm. selling that Uh. experience and putting it on people. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Summer's heat can cause your battery fluids to evaporate. Get your battery tested for free. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the battery you need. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Katie Linendahl is here with us. She's a tech expert. She's an Emmy Award winner. She worked on SportsCenter for a while. We're going to get to that in a moment. But we've been talking about AR and VR and you know, Adam brought up a really good point, which is just what's the difference between the two? I think I some no of us, were, were, <laughs> if you've dipped your toe into this, you know, into this world at all, you kind of get it. But just quickly explain what the difference is. Sure. And if, even if you're tech savvy or not, I think it's important to know what augmented reality and virtual reality are and how they exist. Just because they're popping up so much and trending so much in our world. Tech savvy or not. So AR, I like to explain it. The, probably the best case example is Pokemon Go. It's the capability when you have a phone or a tablet and it kind of overlays this digital world so you can see things pop up on your device in addition to the real world. That so, was the biggest thing ever for huge. like two months. Did you do it? I didn't do it. I, I have oh, a problem. No, no. When you I did. see no, I didn't. When I see really popular trends, like when Lost was popular for the first Love time, Lost. I was like not watching the show, it's too in. I like naturally rejected oh, it. Oh, you reject it, right. Yeah, it's bad. Did you ever go back and watch Lost? I, I tried, and then there was like a dark cloud monster, and I couldn't do it. But Pokemon Go <laughs> was incredible, and I remember weekends where I would see people on their phones, and they were just walking around Nuts. New York. But it was Aimless. the first time, was that the first time that it was really over augmented reality when people, it was easy to use, and it was that popular? For me, in the timeline, because AR's been out for a while. Exactly. Years. And this was the first time that it really hit, like, the consumer level. Right. People were like, I get this. And I remember when that happened, all the companies went, I want to do that with my product. Yep. And it, it, I feel like all of a sudden people saw dollar signs behind all mm-hmm. magnetic reality. Was that a was that an industry but shift? have we? Well, I got to tell you, I yeah. go to big events every all the time for technology. CES is like the Consumer yep. Electronics Show, as you know. It's yep. a huge technology forum. One of the coolest events I go to is the Toy Fair, which happens every year here in New York City. And it's like football fields of all the latest toys and gadgets that are coming out. This year, it was all augmented reality. Mm. Augmented reality wallpaper for your kid's room, carpets, books, uh, coloring books. I was blown away. It was, to me, it was like everybody in, and I got out of there and I'm like, who's adopting this augmented reality? And people are like, what's that? And I'm like, it's everywhere. No, it's Mm. just at the Toy Fair. It will be here. But it's, I think it's going to be a big trend. And you do it on your phone. I mean, how tablet, yeah. far away are we from wearing glasses, cool ones, like the mm. ones you're wearing now, like stylish, awesome glasses, not Google glasses mm. w- that weren't that stylish, where you're seeing some kind of filtered reality like Iron Man or like the Terminator, and you're, you're having that experience. I think the glasses thing was such a flop mm. so far. I think the, the next natural step we know that iPhone 8 is coming out the first, second week in September, as it always does. They're always on a cycle. I think a native kind of uh, something that would allow your phone to make it easier to pop up as opposed to having to go into an app and go and download something extra to have that augmented reality come to life. I think that would be naturally 
the next kind of evolution. So you just made me think we're all going to be living in like unwallpapered white box rooms, <laughs> but like we put the glass on, like you need to see this. My house is amazing. <laughs> My mom's been trying to redecorate the shore house. If she could have some form of design thing where she looked around her house and was like, the chair will go there, the wallpaper goes there, she's set. She's Instead of no, like that's... huge in Japan, it's like huge in VR, yeah. huge yeah. in exactly. AR. Yeah. I have oh, no exactly. idea. Put on these glasses. Okay. I have a question about that yeah. toy thing. So you yeah. said, there, how, have you ever seen anything at these fairs that you went, oh, it's going to happen? And then like five years later, everyone's like, this is great. And you're like, I saw it five years ago. All the time. All what the are the time. biggest ones? Nothing comes to, like, I have to think about yeah. it. But I think that's probably the coolest part of my job is being able to test things even before they're out on the market. Sure. So even if I see a prototype, the company will usually give it to you because they want you to you know, put it on air. Right. I'm best known for my work on the Today Show. I've been there for six years. And putting a gadget on the air for 30 seconds, I've created, I mean, it's it's amazing to hear what it's these like companies. It's like Shark Tank. Yeah. It's insane. The impact's crazy. Yeah, you're yeah. just crashing websites all over the place. Totally. And yeah. All that stuff. I asked people on Twitter if they had any questions for you, tech yeah. questions. Mark Moses, who I know actually, uh, radio host down in Florida, he says, do I really need to buy a 4K TV right now, or should I hold off until all channels are 4K? It's an interesting question. You know, I always say with TVs, first off, I always recommend going in every weekend there's sales on TVs. People often say that around the Super Bowl is a really good time, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Yes, absolutely. You're going to find good deals. But they're coming down in price so much right now that I feel like if you are due for a TV, I mean, people are already talking about 8K. 4K is a great place to be at. If you need that upgrade, do it. How many Ks can we go? Is there a limit to Ks? Not a limit. (laughs) There's no limit. I mean, there's an iPhone. How many iPhones do you think we're going to get? There's always another iteration. What does the K mean? Thousand. So it's like 4,000 times the resolution of a 1080p, which was the industry standard just a few years ago. But can I tell you, like, when I was at Consumer Electronics Show, which we were just speaking about a few years ago, the 4K TVs were hundreds and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Now you can get them for, I mean, any one of us could go pick it up. Yeah. So I it watch comes TV down on in my price. computer screen. I don't need all the Ks. Keep the Ks. Keep the, the Ks. Yeah, too much Ks. Keep your Ks. Why? I don't need to see the out, like the, the, the pimples on Steph Curry's face. I don't need it. Yeah. I mean, which is very remember, against what she's trying to talk the, the, about. The, well, fir- it, the first time seeing David Letterman in HD, and I was like, oh, no, my idol. John Stewart in HD is a scary sight. Okay, so let's type, tap into your TV <laughs> background a little bit. Sure. Hopefully segue there. You worked on SportsCenter. I did. For a while. So tell us what were some of the memorable stories that you were doing or news that broke while you were oh, doing fun. SportsCenter, some of the anchors that you worked with. It was an epic experience. So... I'm so glad that I started my career from being a production assistant, then ending up coming back on air for ESPN. That's really cool. I wrote like 50 pieces for ESPN.com and covering sports technology before it was even a big deal. But working at SportsCenter was one of the most challenging jobs I've ever had because, you know, I just came right out of school. I took a sports test to get my job. And it was hard. It was, I felt like I was in an interrogation room. I've since heard the process has changed, but I mean, you want to get into I, I was asking questions, asked questions about like Martina Navratilova. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you're giving a best guess at that point. Meanwhile, starting lineup of the Orioles, best guess. Yeah. Women's final on Wimbledon right now, Venus and Magruza. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was a really cool experience and working along the lights of Dan Patrick and um, Mike Ditka and Berman for cutting analysis tapes and in, in, in on Sundays with football is, is so cool and so hard. And I worked on Outside the Lines, NBA Fast Break, um, NFL Live. Wonderful experience, but very, very intense. So it's you, as t- intense as you can imagine. And then after six months, what they do when they you come in through the program, they vote on you mm. if you're going to stay or not. Wow. 
So it's like Survivor. It is. I mean, you're you're living there, man. All That's right, intense. so I loved it, it. I don't know if you know, but all of the media landscape right now is trying to figure it out. Cord cutting, subscriber lost, building up all this. Is there anything in tech that you think all sports companies should embrace right now to get ahead of the curve and maybe be a leader when this goes big? I think we're starting to see, and we have over the past few years, to your point, this kind of app model. Sure. Where you have, you know, CBS does a great job of it. Where you can have, you know, I don't know the exact price point that it is now, but under 20 bucks, you get unlimited content. I think the hardest thing for me in cutting my cord on cable is live sports. Right. I love that experience of having live sports. And you don't want to go to the bar and all that stuff. No, we're antisocial. Come on, man. You know, Adam. Oh, I'm a homebody. Less people equals better. So, (laughs) So now with the capability of, you know, YouTube and the Amazons going in the direction of having that live streaming capability, I think it's huge. And I think, you know, as a company... When we speak about the likes of these big conglomerates, you got to see where it's, it's like the Wayne Gretzky thing. You know, yeah. you got to see where the puck is going. You got to get on board and figure it out and, and figure out how you're going to monetize because you know you are. So, which aspect? What revenue. do they need to get on board with? I think that app live streaming model, when you go on to your Apple TV and you have the CBS app, or um, I mean, every single channel has an app now. Sure. Putting more capability and more content in there is a must now. Making I don't think that I'm saying anything. Priority. Okay, so, I think so have you guys? So we're talking with Katie Lindendahl, by the way. She's an Emmy Award-winning tech expert. And I think what was interesting about Fox Sports VR, mm-hmm. they launched their app and they tried this thing for the Gold Cup that's going on right now, which is one part about VR that makes me a little bit apprehensive and why I might not want to watch a four-hour football game is because I like checking Twitter during it. I sure. like the second screen. If I don't want to feel like I have to go into this hole and away from everything and everybody if I want to watch a sporting event. So what they've done is they created this sort of like um, like virtual owner's box where you can mm-hmm. be there with your friends. It's like a social experience. Yeah, and so it's social and it's VR. I mean, how much do you think watching the live sports, which we all love, if we want to take that to the next level of VR, how important is that social component? Because you, I, I understand you guys are saying less people are better, but you also don't want to feel closed off yeah, from everyone. Sure. Right. Well, and I, I think I love that you know that example. I'm actually heading over to that facility where they create that content for uh, Fox this week. And they were asking me to come out to the MLS game last week, which was awesome because, y- yes, it's not just seeing the game, but maybe interacting with a player on the field in real time or also interacting with your friends at the same time, which changes the experience. I think we're just starting to learn. You know, in working myself in VR for so many years since, since infancy, we don't have, like, the analytics and the data to know that oh, we're seeing that people are popping out after X amount of minutes and they want that, they want to hop on their phone. Or we don't have those metrics just yet, but I think they're on the cutting edge, not the bleeding edge of understanding, oh, that's maybe what somebody, what we're seeing that people want. So I, I don't know. I think we're all kind of figuring it out. Yeah. We only have a couple minutes left here with Katie Linendahl. Do you, unless you have more VR questions, Adam, I'd like to just open it up to like cool tech things right now. <laughs> yeah, I want to Because learn. I'm not like a, I'm not someone who's waiting for the iPhone 8. You know, I'm, I'm cool. I got like my, I don't even know what this is. Maybe a six. I don't know. But what are some really cool gadgets that you've seen lately? Well, I will say with the eight, it's probably the most exciting time. We know that like Apple hype gets huge it's every time always, it's a release, yeah. which is crazy to me in the world of media. How it's much? Lonzo Ball S. Whoa. Yeah. So this, is their 10-year anniversary. It's McGregor Mayweather of phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just with a, a lot of smarter verbiage. <laughs> yeah, right. The, the, Hand the rated them the PG mic. version. <laughs> so uh, the 10-year anniversary will be coming up for the iPhone. So I think that will actually, this will be one of the most exciting times in terms of a release and what we're going to see because the expectations are incredibly high. Um, but to finish the conversation on AR and VR too, one thing that I'm loving in being able to test is 
we used to have to create, I've worked with a number of companies to create uh, virtual reality and you'd have to string together like 50 GoPros and then you'd have to stitch it and, and edit it and post. It was like the worst process ever. Now there's actually technologies on the market that I've been testing that are like two, 300 bucks that you can create your own 360 degree content with and also virtual reality. Mm. So imagine now being able to not only watch VR, but say, hey, I was just in, uh, I was in Bermuda last week or two weeks ago for the America's Cup. It was beautiful. It was epic. You wouldn't believe what the landscape is there. Oh, wait, check it out. I actually filmed it, and here's yeah. what it looks like in real life. You know, yeah, it's funny. SI, crazy. SI did this right before the Super Bowl. We did a 360 experience where we took the biggest play that the Patriots run and the biggest play that the Falcons run. We simulated it with a college team in upstate New York. And then we had hotspots that you could watch it from, different vantage points. So you can That's see, sick. and then a GIF of the actual play in the mm. corner. So we try to make people smarter by using that yeah. 360 technology. And to be able to toggle, just like we can yeah, do toggle. in a lot of apps, uh, you know, and you go for, into Barclays, for example, you can actually toggle your vantage point from the court. I think that's really cool to, if, if we can get to that level with VR, as you said, different um, perspectives from being on the field to being in the stadium. Okay, right, we only I'll, have like a minute left. iPhone 8. I, what is yeah. going to be new about it? <laughs> It's going to be, what, slimmer? They're going to take better away camera. more things? I think yeah, better the, camera. The rumor now is that there's going to be three different options, which is kind of crazy, but I think there will be a, a little bit larger option, so the size will change. So for anybody that has a case, yeah. it's like, dang it! Oh, it's always like the frustration. Just don't make another charger. That's just the biggest oh. racket going. Yeah, we're talking a lot about wireless charging these days. We'll have to see where it goes. I know. But... I met someone from Ubeam, the woman who started that, where it's just going to be like wireless in the air. You just like charge your phone in the air. <sighs> I know. Charge now. Wild. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a, a gadget that you love. We only have about 20 seconds left. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I have tested everything from I've, I've played tennis against a robotic ping pong player oh. um, to uh, the latest pet gadgets. I, I, all my stuff is on my site. I always yes. update well, the latest technology. KatieLinendahl.com. I'm constantly posting new gadgets that are not on the market and uh, sharing those in, in uh, on all my sites and social. Katie, awesome. it is so, so awesome to meet you. Thank you Thank for you coming in. You, awesome. you look awesome. It's so <laughs> early in the morning. Adam and I look like we're in our pajamas. I'll just speak for myself. I look like I'm in my pajamas. No, you look great. Up. This was a lot, a lot of fun. Adam, we got to know you today. It was awesome. We know you think LeVar Ball is a genius. Genius. We know you take Seinfeld to a, desert, a deserted oh, island. Yeah, come with me. And what was our third one? Yeah. Antisocial. I spent, I spent way too way much too money much on a bottle. On a bottle of Probably tequila. Probably the reason I'm antisocial. <laughs> Could yeah. be after that I'm drinking tequila by myself. Adam, it was so great to have you in, Thank filling you so in for Moose. Katie as well. Of course, Anthony and Duff on the other side. Keep mm-hmm. it locked right here. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. It's CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.